The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 221 for Thursday, March 27th, 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, our caller number 347-324-3541. If you guys are checking the show out via mtrlive.com, you will probably notice that there is no video feed. Not sure what's going on over there at GFQHQ, but... We're still going to do the show with audio, and I am recording it here in studio so I can upload the video to YouTube. Like I said, our caller number is 347-324-3541. You can also listen via that number. Just don't hit option one, and you won't go into the caller queue. You can always hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a couple of things we need to get into. Uh, first and foremost, uh, last week we announced the winners of the Veronica Mars contest. Uh, definitely want to thank those that entered, and that person's prize pack will be sent out by our friends at Partners Hub in the near future. Now, I do have to say that we got a couple of contests in the works, which we're going to be announcing within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, once the brand new site is up and running, we'll be able to do that on the site as well. Another thing I did want to get into and I kind of want to acknowledge a little bit is Facebook. A lot of you guys have been using Facebook and I did want to let you guys know that the algorithm for Facebook has changed. As such, a lot of you guys have been telling me that you're not seeing our updates and it's it's very stressful, obviously, because we try to get content out on a consistent basis. Uh, a couple of things. First and foremost, remember to add us as an interest so you can get all our updates also also make sure that you are checking notifications to get updates from us just one of those things where people log them off for whatever reason maybe we put out too many updates maybe we have too much stuff going on for wrestling and that is also a factor so just something to consider if you're doing it on the if you're not getting all our updates otherwise just make sure to check the site out there's a couple of different things you can do first off you can subscribe via RSS and get the RSS feeds for the show including episodes by clicking the RS the RSS link on the site 
The other thing you can do is there is a newsletter icon in the corner and you can sign up for the MTR newsletter that actually gives you um, all the recordings for the week. Well, not just the recordings, but you also get all the posts for the week. Usually once a day, you'll get a newsletter with all the day's posts. Just another way to uh, get that stuff out there to you guys. You can also use that. Otherwise, Facebook, uh, Twitter, also at My Take Radio and Google Plus. We're starting to use more Google Plus uh, primarily because a lot of you guys are able to see all of our updates, which is what we're trying, we're, we're striving for. I know a lot of you guys hate it and you think Google Plus sucks, and I understand that, but it is one of the more viable options for us, and it's something that we try to do on the regular. I mean, you know, it's it's not easy when you have to take the, you know, take your updates and spread them across multiple platforms. I know a lot of you guys are exclusively on Facebook. Some of you guys are exclusively on Twitter. And either way, it's always an issue with regards to everybody getting all our stuff. I know some of you guys are on Tumblr, which we started to do more Tumblr blogs. And that's something we've been doing a little bit more consistent just because Tumblr is becoming a new medium that more people are are utilizing and we're reaching a brand new audience and those of you that are sharing our stuff on tumblr thanks a lot you guys rock but we're trying to just make sure that we're focusing our content to the right places as always uh, we welcome your feedback so never hesitate to drop me a line on facebook or twitter or whatever medium you're using hey rich you know i'm not getting all your updates or can you guys make sure that these updates are going out and it'll, it'll just make things easier so that's something we're definitely going to try and do going forward just try and and interact with you guys more to get more feedback but it is a give and take so if i'm posting stuff on the fan page or wherever and i'm asking for input definitely give it because nothing is more annoying than i i broach different things with you guys and you guys are like hey yeah that's a good idea that's not a, a good idea weeks and months later so you know just something to take into consideration i i think the easiest thing to do like I said, is keep an eye on the fan page and on, you know, the fan page first and foremost, because I'm usually able to access Facebook more readily. And then Twitter would be second. Uh, last week, we did have some call in issues. Ben wasn't able to get on the line because of blog talk radio. But I did want to let you guys know um, that. Hold on a second. I got a communique from Slick. Um. I did want to say with regards to the blog talk radio issues from last week and not being able to call in, we're actually going to set up a separate Skype number for us to take calls that way. This way we're starting to rely less and less and less on blog talk radio because it is a little cumbersome trying to screen calls and do all that and bring people on board. And when blog talk radio doesn't feel like broadcasting or doing things correctly, it, it causes an issue. So I figured I would let you guys know that. And we are working on that probably within the next three weeks, maybe a month tops. We'll have a, a sec, <clears throat> excuse me, a secondary system in place for us to be able to do the shows and take calls via Skype as an alternative to the blog talk radio network when it is not working. So figured I'd let you guys know that I know some of you guys are we're not picking up the Mixler feed. I think it's just because since we built a new PC, some of the inputs are a little wonky. But those of you that are listening via Mixler, I know you guys are getting the feed and you guys can chat via Mixler as well. The GFQ chat room does work, even though we don't have video going on. The Mixler 
player and the GFQ chat room are fully working. So feel free to use those to interact with each other and with me as well. I can actually see that. Uh, with regards to the video, I am recording video, which I'm going to upload to YouTube. But for the time being, it will be an audio only show. All right. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event, which had one of the best fights between Hendo and Shogun. It is it is the fight of the ages. Con add to that, we also have uh, this week's Raw news, which we're going to talk about. A lot of things happened on Raw that obviously with it emanating from New York and WrestleMania being two weeks away, things were running on all cylinders, and we got a lot of crazy stuff that went down on Raw, and I'm definitely looking forward to talking about that. We got your gaming news and, of course, your entertainment news for this week. As always, feel free to call in and interact, 347-324-3541. All right, we got real, no housekeeping to get out of the way this week because everything's been running uh, pretty smoothly, minus the stuff I told you at the top of the show. So let's get into some MMA. There's quite a bit to discuss, and uh, we've definitely got to talk about this past weekend's UFC card. All right, so the first thing, like I said, the UFC Fight Night 38 card was from Brazil, um, and it was it was ridiculous, Shogun Henderson too. But not only that, everybody was pumped for that fight, but the card as a whole did not disappoint. Uh, you had uh, Noad Lahat taking on Godofredo Pepe in an awesome fight. Uh, Pepe took the victory via brutal, brutal knockout. It was it was nasty. Um, you know, they were exchanging back and forth, at which point Pepe landed a hard punch that dropped Lahat when Lahat tried, to, well, he nearly dropped him, at which point uh, Pepe finished the fight with a beautiful flying knee. It was ridiculous. It was on the prelims on Fight Pass, and it was fantastic. Uh, a couple of other fights that I definitely want to discuss, which were uh, extremely, extremely uh, entertaining. Uh, Juicier Formiga taking on Scott Jorgensen. A little bummed out to see Scott Jorgensen lose. He's he's always an exciting fighter to watch. He goes in there, he gives it 110%, and to see him lose not only via submission but so quickly was you know it bummed me out. Like I said, as a fan, I like watching him fight. The guys the guys an exciting exciting fighter. Uh, meanwhile, as we start getting into the Fox Sports One card, there were a couple of solid fights there. I did want to discuss uh, CB Dalloway. Uh, back on the televised cards. It feels like I haven't seen C.B. Dalloway fight in forever. Uh, he took on Cesar Ferreira, and C.B. Dalloway took the fight via a nasty left hook, at which point uh, Ferreira dropped to the ground. Dalloway jumped on into his guard and just ground and pounded him out. It was just a, a nasty, nasty TKO finish, so definitely props to uh, C.B. Dalloway for that. And, of course, the main event. Let's talk about this main event, and this is why I wanted to get into it. The Dan Henderson-Shogun fight. couple of things going into this fight that were of note. Number one, Dan Henderson was not take. This was the last time he was allowed to use TRT in Brazil. The second thing, Shogun, of course, fighting in front of a home crowd. It was electric. There were so many people just pumped and in the zone. Round one, definitely Shogun going in there, working a lot of the striking game. Um, Hendo dropped Shogun with a nasty left, 
at which point Shogun did recover, and then he dropped Hendo. As soon as that happened, I knew we were gonna we were in for a special, special night. Um, everybody says, oh, these guys are going to go in there, rock them, sock them, robot style. And yeah, that's great, and, and that's something we definitely want to want to always look forward to but the fact is that these guys were they're legends and they really were going in there swinging for the fences and and they did not disappoint shogun definitely uh the, the aggressor in the first round uh he wrestled hendo to the ground he was pounding on him from half guard as the round closed out in the second round shogun again working the jab attacking the legs trying to make sure to stop dan henderson from shooting in for the takedown sound strategy they kept exchanging, which was which was solid. But we were we were always on the lookout for that for that nasty uh, one punch knockout power that Henderson is known for. And the more we watched, and the more the fight went on, I said to myself, "It's gonna happen. Either Shogun's gonna drop him with something disgusting, or Hendo's just gonna come out of the pocket with one, and it's gonna be lights out." So round two ended, Shogun definitely keeping busy uh, to close things out. They stood up as the round ended, but Shogun worked the jab. He was working the jab and trying to really attack the legs to prevent that shoot from Dan Henderson. Round three, Shogun came out working the jab a little bit more, at which point Hendo rushed Shogun, started unloading rights and lefts, the nasty exchanges. Henderson did try for the takedown and boom, at which point... As he tried for the takedown, he connected with a right hook. It was it was ridiculous because he shot in for the takedown and he just came up with the hook and cracked him. At which point, Shogun hit the mat. Uh, Hendo dropped on him, ground and pound with some nasty hammer fists, and that was it. The crazy thing about this wasn't the fact that Shogun was winning the fight, was that Hendo hit him with a, with that nasty right hook and broke Shogun's nose when the fight ended and they had the guy standing there waiting for their interviews. Shogun's nose, one side was this way to the left and one side was to the right. It was a nasty, nasty finish. It was it was fantastic. Um, it was a great way to close it out. These guys, they go in there and, and they, they give it all. And again, these guys, bona fide legends, the two of them. I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Uh, with Dan Henderson, it's very interesting because this fight... It raises a lot of eyebrows. It, it it really asks, where does Dan Henderson fit in at 205? Because that's the big question. Fitting in at 205 for Dan Henderson is something that, you know, he wants a, one more belt. He wants a title opportunity. And it almost feels like it eludes him every time he gets close. And in this particular instance, I think he definitely put an exclamation point on it and made a made a strong case to challenge a top five guy at 205. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, he could fight Cormier or he could fight Rashad Evans or he could fight uh, the loser uh, of Jones and Teixeira. Whatever the case is, Hendo definitely has a strong case at 205. A lot of people are saying, and there's been a lot of rumors, that he may even drop down to 185 given how crowded 205 is. Don't quote me on it. I don't know how legitimate that would be, but I definitely think that if Hendo made another run for the belt while 205 is a great division for him it is it is incredibly deep that's not to say that there's easier challenges at 185 but it definitely is open season you got a lot of guys at 185 that hendo could really match up with and of course the the, the end game for hendo is one more title and and perhaps retirement and you know what if he really gets aggressive and they start giving him really good fights 
post TRT because we got to take into consideration post TRT it's going to be very interesting to see where Hendo goes from here because from a post TRT standpoint I think is when we're going to see a lot of these guys that are going to continue fighting if they're going to have that same drive the same power that they've had during their TRT experiences Hendo's case is unique though because that guy always had a devastating right hand and that's something that TRT or not it's always been something he's been known for, so we'll see what happens again, whether he fights at 205 or 185. Um, I think he's going to make a strong statement. All right, so let's let's talk about the rest of the news for this week. There were quite a, a couple of news stories that were uh, uh, noteworthy, of course. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Gina Carano. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about GSP, who was in the news this week, and some people are, are definitely not going to be happy with what I'm going to report regarding GSP, so we'll get into that. But I did want to talk about the Bellator card. Um, a lot of people that that follow MMA are starting to get into MMA. Uh, they always rely on the UFC being the the marquee organization, the first organization they should follow. I, I cannot stress enough, and I recommend it to all of you guys. If you have Access TV, definitely try and watch some of the other organizations. Uh, same thing if you... Obviously, YouTube is a great way, but definitely try and see if Access TV or watch the Muay Thai cards, you know, the the Glory World series on Spike TV and Bellator as well, just to get a, a better understanding of not only the fighters, but just to start start becoming more familiar with some of them. Because a lot of these guys, they transition sometimes from Muay Thai to MMA. Some guys, they're transitioning from other organizations and they're starting in a different promotion so it's always interesting to watch some of these cards and become uh more acclimated with with certain fighters i try and watch as much mma as possible and as much of uh, other disciplines boxing not so much i feel that my attention span doesn't keep me focused on boxing but definitely you know the last glory card i watched bellator i, I try and watch every friday and this past friday they had a title fight Emmanuel Newton uh, versus Attila Vey. That was for the light heavyweight title. Also on that card were the lightweight tournament opening rounds, which had some really, really solid fights. Marcin Held and uh, Rodrigo Calvero, which I mentioned last week. Uh, Marcin Held, of course, known for his incredible submission game, uh, secured a victory in the first round with a toe hold. So he's advancing in the lightweight tournament opening round. Also, uh, Patricky Pit Pitbull Foray took on David Rickles, and, of course, Pitbull never disappoints, took his victory via knockout. Second round, 54 seconds. And, of course, Emmanuel Newton and Attila Vey squared off for the 205-pound title. Uh, Newton took the victory via unanimous decision in a very, very solid fight. Of course, this was the unification bout for the light heavyweight title. Next, of course, Emmanuel Newton will meet the winner of Rampage and um, King Mo which definitely should be interesting, especially with Bellator making the jump to pay-per-view. There is another Bellator card this Friday, which we're going to talk about later on in the segment, which is definitely worth checking out, so do yourselves a favor. Uh, Bellator fights usually the prelim start on Spike TV, and the full cards are on the Spike channel. So the Spike TV website for the prelims, uh, Spike TV for the rest of the card, and usually almost all the cards are on Friday nights. Uh, regarding UFC's fight bonuses, of course, fight of the night, Dan Henderson, uh, Shogun took the 50K. Performance of the night went to Dan Henderson, so he walked away with $100,000 in fight in fight night money. So definitely congrats to Hendo. Uh, Godofredo Pepe took performance of the night with that nasty flying knee knockout, which well-deserved because it was disgusting. Um, 
one guy though that it was you know I'm bummed to report got released, but I'm sure he'll find a home in another organization. Is Ivan Menjavar? Ivan Menjavar, uh, MMA fighting reporting that he got cut. He suffered his third straight loss this month after losing that decision to Hatsu Hiyoki. Um, you know, it's his fourth loss in five fights. It was inevitable that he was going to get cut. But guys like Menjavar, these guys, they've been in the in, in, in the game for a while. I'm sure he'll go to another organization, maybe find some success there. And who knows, he may get a call back to the UFC. I, I'm bummed just because Menjavar, Menjavar is an exciting guy to watch. I You know, all his fights are always a, extremely exciting, either... Whether it's him winning or him losing, they're always exciting fights, and it's and it bums me out to see guys cut. But in in, in thinning the herd, it allows certain guys to shine. So I see I see the logistics in that. Plus, like I said, fourth excuse me fourth loss in five fights is something that people people definitely take notice. On the Bellator side of things, they have a brand new card going down April 11th. That's Bellator 116, which was announced. Of course, the Prelims are on Spike.com. The main card is on Spike TV. Uh, the heavyweight tournament semifinal, LeVar Johnson taking on Blagoy Ivanov. And then Siala Musiglia is taking on Alexander Volkov. That's a heavy, heavyweight tournament semifinal. Also, Nathan Coy, Adam McDonough, that's a welterweight tournament semifinal. And Joey Beltran will be meeting the janitor, Vladimir Matyshenko. So definitely check that card out. Mark it down on your calendars, April 11th. Uh, Rob Emerson will be fighting on the prelims. Always an exciting guy to watch coming out of the UFC. And those will be on Spike.com at 7 p.m. So, you know, we've been talking about Chael and Vanderlei and the tough Brazil season, which a lot of people have been able to watch on the Fight Pass, which, you know, it frustrates me that we can't watch it here in the U.S. without the Fight Pass. But I will say this. A lot of us were concerned about the fight taking place because fight agreements hadn't been signed. Well, Chael had signed his, Vanderlei had not signed his, and it was something that was of great concern. A lot of people were like, yo, is this fight even going to happen, etc., etc., etc. So MMA Junkie reports actually that Chael Son and Vanderlei Silva is official. May 31st in Sao Paulo, Brazil, of course, coaches for the Ultimate Fighter Brazil will be squaring off, and that will be a fight night event. Uh, that's going to be taking place the same day as UFC Fight Night 41, which is Munoz versus Musasi. So May 31st is going to be a packed day for MMA fans. But I'm happy to report Chael and Vanderlei is a go, and that fight's going to be serious. In some injury news, I got to talk about Chris Weidman, who actually suffered an injury and had to withdraw from his bout with Lyoto Machida at UFC 173 in May. Uh, the UFC released a full announcement, uh, but what's going to happen is the fight will be rescheduled and it will be going down July 5th. So there you have it. If you were looking forward to seeing uh, Weidman and Machida uh, in, in May, you're going to have to wait now till July. Of course, this is the second change for that card. Originally, Weidman was supposed to fight Vitor, but after the TRT ban, Vitor did not have enough time to transition off of his TRT regimen, which, of course, did not allow him to be licensed for the fight. So, Weidman going under the knife uh, for a minor surgery for a knee injury will be back to fight Machida for their fight July 5th. Now, the main event for UFC 173 on May 24th has not been announced as of yet, but, of course, once I hear something, I will definitely make sure to share it with you guys. 
Now, the big news, and we've been talking about this on and off, on and off for the last couple of weeks, and it was even on the front page of Yahoo Sports, was Gina Carano, of course, the face of women's MMA, who decided to transition into acting. There's been a lot of rumors and speculation that she would be fighting, uh, returning to returning to the UFC at some point. Uh, there were rumors of her fighting Ronda Rousey. Dana White going on record acknowledging that she had four fights left on her contract is of note as well, but they actually approached her on it in an interview with Fox Sports, and she said that she is open to an MMA return. She said that she's never retired. She never officially said that, but she wants to be able to dedicate herself fully to fighting and to be able to endure training camps and everything, you know, since she's been out of the game for so long. But she did say that she definitely would not rule out a return to the cage. Now, there's a couple of things you can take from that. Obviously, number one, Clearly, Gina Carano, even though she's been making waves in Hollywood, it's it's you know, she's not she's not setting Hollywood on fire, which that's not to take anything away from her. But it's it's one of those things where she she has great fight fight presence on screen. But we all know that there's a lot of unanswered questions in her mixed martial arts career. Obviously, another fight with Cyborg, um, a big money fight with Ronda Rousey, if that happens, plus just being able to mainstream with the UFC as her vehicle of choice versus utilizing Hollywood, I think would be beneficial. That's not to say that Gina does not have a place in the sport, but my biggest concern is and always will be the weight cut. Obviously, the UFC does not have a 145-pound division. Uh, They only have the soon-to-debut 115-pound division and the 135 division. So it's going to be very interesting to see if Carano is going to make a full run at this, and if so if she's going to do it at 135 pounds. But straight from the horse's mouth, she has not ruled it out, and it's going to be an interesting couple of months to see if she does make um, a full decision to return to the cage, and not only that, but return to the cage in the UFC. So very, very interesting times. Of course, Gina Carano has a a movie coming out very soon with uh, Cam Gigande, who is... If you want to talk about douchebag actors, even though he's probably the, a nice guy, just when you look at him, you see smarmy douchebag prick. Uh, she's going to be in that movie. I believe he plays her husband. He gets kidnapped. And, of course, him getting kidnapped leads to her going after him and ample ass whoopings being dispensed. I will probably try and get that trailer on the site this weekend so you guys can check it out. But, like I said, we'll see if she makes a run at it in the coming months. The card in Albuquerque, New Mexico that we were talking about last week with Ben Henderson and Rustam Kabilov has a couple of fights added to it. Uh, John Dodson will be taking on John Moraga. Of course, John the Magician Dodson, a favorite of our very own uh, Blackout 89, our very own Ben. Uh, It's going to be an interesting and very, very exciting card. Also, Lance Benoist taking on Bobby Volker is going to be also on that card. That entire card goes down June 7th. That will be UFC Fight Night 43 from the Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, if you've been following the UFC this week, you will see that Dana White's been doing a lot of tweets from the UFC in Puerto Rico as the UFC prepares to expand to Puerto Rico, and that's fantastic, obviously, me being Puerto Rican and visiting Puerto Rico. It's it's great to see the sport reaching my people over there. But it also it's disheartening to me that the UFC reaches Puerto Rico before it even reaches New York. 
and that in and of itself is just very, very disheartening. But I am happy to report that they are expanding over there, and I think uh, the UFC in Puerto Rico will make incredible headway. I think they have the venues to hold UFC events. Not only that, but they have, you know, Puerto Rico has enough of a fan base with with wrestling and basketball that the UFC, I think, can definitely find its place there. And, uh, of course, once a card is announced, I will share it with you guys. Uh, but... One thing's for certain that one one bit of news that one piece of news that came out of there was the status of Anthony Pettis, which he will be fighting on the year-end show as he squares off against Gilbert Melendez. Of course, both gentlemen are coaches on the first all-women season of the Ultimate Fighter for the 115-pound division, and um, it's going to be awesome. That that fight probably since it's the year-end card will probably take place December 27th, and. Um, it's it, the UFC year-end cards and the Super Bowl weekend cards never disappoint. So to hear that Pettis and Gilbert Melendez are going to be uh, the driving force on that card is it, it gives me a lot of uh, and, you know there's a lot of anticipation and excitement for that. As for the UFC's expansion in Puerto Rico, I'm sure that you know there's a lot of guys that they can have out there. A lot of Puerto Rican fighters, obviously the Pettis brothers. Dennis Bermudez and um, any up and coming and rising Puerto Rican fighters will be able to showcase their skills in front of their hometown crowd. So definitely very, very happy to again report that. And they actually hired uh, boxing promoter Peter Rivera. He's going to serve as the UFC's representative in Puerto Rico. And as more news develops, of course, I will share it with you guys. So let's talk about GSP this week. Our, our, our buddy GSP went on his official Facebook and reported that he tore his ACL in his left knee. Now, this raises a couple of questions. Number one, if you're retired, why are you training? Obviously, it's easy, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, just because he's retired doesn't mean he shouldn't stop training. But it's weird that he was training, he tore his ACL in his left knee, and he reported on it, Twitter... The Twitterverse and all the MMA sites went crazy, but you also got to look at it from the standpoint of the guy had um, ACL surgery in 2011. The injury put him out for most of 2012, and he came back, took on Carlos Condit, after which he took on Johnny Hendricks, retained the belt, and took his sabbatical. And for him to suffer this injury, which, like I said, put him out for most of 2012, it's pretty much obvious now that GSP is going to be on the shelf for most of 2014, and we won't even know if he's going to come back in 2015. It's a, it's a huge injury, of course. Uh, tear, tear, the, the ACL tear, um, it changes everything about you. And like I said, his recovery time from his first ACL injury was very quick. He came back very fast. But again, it's just it's going to be interesting to see what happens a year from now if he's still going to have that same drive and that same motivation to continue fighting. I think with with that ACL injury, it's going to be very, very interesting the next couple of months what his fighting future holds. Again, as I hear more, I will share the news with you guys. So to close things out, like I said, tomorrow night we got another Bellator event, Bellator 114 at the Maverick Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, the middleweight title will be on the line as as excuse me, as Alexander Shlomenko defends his title against Brennan Ward. Also, we're going to have some featherweight tournament semifinal fights and um, a middleweight tournament semifinal fight with Kendall Grove 
formerly of the UFC, taking on Brett Cooper. The action on that card, of course, begins on Spike.com at 7 p.m., and then we go into the main card on Spike TV. So definitely be on the lookout for that. All right, that is going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let us get into some wrestling because we got a lot to discuss. And of course, Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! Now get the gold, the gold, from my generation, I'll take the Let's talk about Raw this week. Raw was Here's the funny thing. As soon as you as soon as the opening segment of Raw began, a lot of people they just they just felt the wind get sucked out of their sails. Um of course, first and foremost because you got you have Stephanie McMahon coming out there being her her typical boring self and nothing added to that promo more than boring ass Randy Orton, which of course it is what it is, but the thing that bothered me is that you have two weeks to WrestleMania, two, two whole weeks, and when you got two weeks for the largest pay-per-view of the year going into not only the largest pay-per-view, but also a pay-per-view that will dictate the success of the network going forward, because you got to remember, this will be WrestleMania's first um, day, this is the first pay-per-view, the first full pay-per-view on the network. And it, the services are going to be taxed. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to be really put through the ringer here. And I think that with all of that on the line, it concerns me that they're not. it's not being pushed the same way. It doesn't have the same focus. It doesn't have the same drive that most other um, take-home shows are. you got to remember, Raw. we have the Raw from the 24th and the Raw from the 31st, and that's it. After that... All bets are off, and it, with with that said, it's it's weird that you're not going to, you're not gonna open up the show with something a lot stronger than that opening promo, which was I really felt extremely extremely lacking. And then of course Batista saunters out, and he does his, his shtick, um, insulting Stephanie McMahon. He spears Randy Orton, tears his pants in the process, which of course led to a lot of jokes, obviously at the expense of the animal. And I felt that that entire segment just felt disjointed. It felt out of place. Um, But it was redeemed with the IC title contenders match with Alberto Del Rio, Christian, Dolph Ziggler, and Sheamus. Now, a couple of things. This match, as good as it was, it concerned me because all of a sudden they wanted a contender for the IC title. Was, Was just there nothing going on with the belt? Did the plans for unification fall down the, you know, go down the toilet? In the end, the match was fairly good, and Christian came out the victor. Now, listen to this very carefully. Christian won that match, and he would go on to face Big E Langston uh, the following night on main event. Now, 
the thing that gets me with that is you did that. You're you're gonna get people tuned in, and it would again, it, it would be a solid, solid match. But unfortunately, it's not going to be the way it was planned, and we'll discuss that later on. Uh, the Wyatts definitely were the stars Monday night at, from Brooklyn. Uh, the people were really into it. The crowd was was hanging on every word that Bray Wyatt said, and it, you could really feel the energy. And once again. It's it's one of those things where you're seeing an emergence of a guy who is going to be the future of this business. And it's very easy to look at the shield and see that. But when you look at Bray Wyatt and you see the gimmick and you see that it comes together in such a way that when you look at it, you say to yourself, shit, you know, that that guy, he's got all the tools. And it definitely showed that night in Brooklyn, because to me, the best part was not only the, the way the promos went, but just the fact that he just delivers with such ease and it just feels so natural that the crowd was truly, truly into it. And the Wyatts definitely aren't. We haven't seen the last of the of the Wyatt family during this Raw recap. But before we get into that, of course, the Scooby-Doo appearance, he, they showed a little bit of Scooby-Doo's WrestleMania mystery, which came out on Tuesday. I actually I did not buy it, but I did get to see some of it. And, you know, I'll share my thoughts next week on air about that. But Sinkara came out with Scooby-Doo to take on Damian Sandow. couple of things can be taken away from this match. Number one, uh, Hunico as Sinkara, definitely more effective than the old Sinkara who is in the news this week. And Damian Sandow, just, just how the mighty have fallen up here, top of the rung, had a great match with Cena, had title aspirations now, does the job to Sinkara and Scooby-Doo for all intents and purposes. It just, it just felt, it felt like, you know, like Sandow was getting jobbed out, like he was being punished for something he did. Now, if it's to further along the, the issues with Triple H, then yeah, I have no problem with that, but I just felt that Sandow was incredibly misused in that match, considering that, you know, when you look at that match, you got to say to yourself, damn, you know, did he, did he really, did, was that deserved? Did Sandow, did Sandow really deserve to get jobbed out like that? And that's one of the things that kind of bummed me out in the sense that he didn't deserve that in the least. I think that if anything, you could have put anybody else in there and you probably would have had just as good of a match and not at the expense of a guy like Sandow. Again, very unfortunate, but something that needs to be addressed. Also, Los Matadores and El Torito took on Ryback and Curtis Axel, and it was a, a basic paint-by-numbers squash, which the real payoff came because the Shield interrupted, well, they didn't interrupt the match, but they came in post-match and pretty much murdered, death, killed Ryback and Curtis Axel. Of course, this was revenge for the incident on SmackDown, where pretty much every tag team whooped the Shield's ass, so definitely... You know, it, w it was great angle advancement from that standpoint. I just felt that the time could have been used more effectively. We had Triple H come out and cut his long, drawn-out promo, bloody fucking blah, and his little interview, his little sit-down interview with Michael Cole. Now, couple of things. Triple H playing the evil owner, the evil boss, whatever it is, I definitely feel that the role works for him. I I'm just concerned about the fact that there's always that small, small percentage of me that feels that he may run away with the victory at, against Daniel Bryan and at WrestleMania. It's there. 
I kind of feel it, and it, it concerns me. It really does concern me that we may be getting that because, hey, it's it's something that the crowd will definitely not be happy with. But again, I could be wrong, but there's a small, small percentage of me that feels that, that it is inevitable. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is inevitable, and it's something that might happen. Who knows? We'll find out in two weeks. Fandango took on Cody Rhodes again. I don't know where this is going unless they're going to give Fandango a tag team partner, but Cody Rhodes pretty much came in and did his thing and killed uh, Fandango dead thanks to some interference from Summer Rae, which of course led to Fandango eating the disaster kick. Now, let's talk about Schwarzenegger and Hogan and Joe Mangioli. Obviously, we all know it's Joe Manganello. But Hogan pretty much murdered his name. Now, of course, the running gag is, hey, th- that guy's name is easy to fuck up. And I know Jay, Jay had a good laugh about that. But Schwarzenegger, his own co-star, ruined the name as well. So it, w- it was just a, it pretty much Joe Mangled. It should be Joe Mangled last name after that entire turn of events. First, like I said, Hogan just ruining his name and then Schwarzenegger killing his name. The segment as a whole was uh, a shill fest for sabotage. Arnold Schwarzenegger is always fun to watch. Even now in old in his old age, he leads to he, he gives us some really, really fun moments. I mean, if you saw Jimmy Fallon this past week and you saw the infomercial skit they did, it really shows Arnold is comfortable being older. He's comfortable being the aging action hero. And and it worked. I mean his his interactions with Hogan were really cool and of course the Miz comes out to interrupt everything, and I was shocked that they used The Miz for that because I felt that you could use any heel for that, but I don't know who The Miz pissed off, but he came out, he cut his little promo, and he got his ass whooped by Joe Manganello and by Arnold Schwarzenegger, so The Miz had to sell the job for all three of those guys to put the movie over. Not the worst thing in the world, again, mainstream exposure for the WWE product, but at the expense of a guy like The Miz who, again, he's not a guy that's fallen down the rung. Just because, you know, he married Maurice and everybody hates his guts doesn't mean you have to treat him like shit. I mean, if 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 the rumors are to be believed about him forming a faction with uh, Dolph Ziggler and Zack Ryder, then maybe this is part of a bigger and more elaborate plan. But again, I'm giving creative way too much credit with regards to that, so we shall see what happens, but it almost feels like I haven't seen The Miz wrestle in months, much less seen him on TV in a positive light in quite some time. Obviously, he did the Marine, he did that flip-flop feud with Kofi Kingston, and then it just feels like he really hasn't been on television as much as he should, and again, just, you know, I, I feel bad for the guy. Big Show and Titus O'Neil, of course, this is all part of the whole building up of, of the Andre the Giant Invitational Battle Royal, and Titus Titus did the job eating the KO shot from the Big Show. I think that Titus O'Neil's heel turn has just been mismanaged and, and mishandled, and part of it is because I believe he kind of pushed for the solo run, and they gave it to him, and they said, listen, dude, it's your job to get this over. If you don't, you're on your own. Because think about it, him and Darren Young, they were they had mainstream appeal, everybody was starting to get into it, the catchphrases were starting to work, and then all of a sudden it was just like like this, like they took him out of the picture, and they put him in, in this solo role with no clear direction whatsoever. It always feels like he comes out, he barks like an asshole, 
and then he gets his ass whooped. That, like that's pretty much it. It's like he he's a he's a big guy. He has good presence. You know, he he fills the the ideal uh, McMahon you know fetish of the the big guy fetish. So I don't understand why he doesn't have a better placement on the card. But at the expense of putting the Big Show over and the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, you know what can you do? It is what it is. Uh, we got a backstage segment with the Shield continuing to tease their their frustration and their their inevitable turn towards uh, the face side of things, which we'll discuss that later on. But nice little exchange with Triple H again, a, a lot of foreshadowing there. They got a match with the Real Americans out of it, but again, like I said, foreshadowing, a lot of foreshadowing. John Cena took on Luke Harper in a pretty paint-by-numbers match that ended in DQ after the lights went out and Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, and Eric Rowan tied Cena onto the ropes and put the sheet mask on him. Now, again, the match itself was very serviceable. It was a solid match. Wasn't terrible, but you have to think, again, of what I said earlier in the segment about Bray Wyatt's presence. When he came out and he was holding that lantern, he's like, Brooklyn. We're here, and he blows out that lantern, and everybody just goes crazy. It just shows that it's those little things. If 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 you're a consistently entertaining wrestler, if you're unique, whether you're heel or face, the crowd is going to get into it. The crowd definitely is digging the Wyatt family gimmick. Um, it was definitely apparent Monday night, and he needs the victory at Mania to cement himself as a threat to the upper card, as a guy who's ready to ascend to the next level. I feel that. And I've talked about this before, the importance of wins and losses. A loss at WrestleMania will not hurt John Cena because the guy is, he's Superman, he's untouchable. Bray Wyatt needs this to cement himself. You know, they talk, they play the Eminem legacy track, they talk about legacy and John Cena protecting his. At the end of the day, it's about Bray Wyatt establishing his legacy. And I think WrestleMania 30 is going to be the coming out party for Bray Wyatt as a singles competitor. And I think John Cena is going to be the perfect guy to put him over. Again, if that's what they decide to do, I'm hoping that's the case. But again, creative sometimes doesn't live by their namesake. That being thinking creatively. AJ did the job pretty much in, in, in an interesting sort of way. And when I say she did the job, she lost to Naomi via count out, obviously to retain the belt. And Vicky Guerrero set up her... Uh, Vicky Guerrero Divas title invitational, which pretty much is uh, an, uh, an excuse to get all the Divas on the card with AJ's belt on the line. There was no real explanation other than AJ facing um, Naomi, Cameron, the Bellas, Natalia, Eva Marie, Emma, Oksana, Alicia Fox, Summer Rae, Rosa Mendez, who looked fucking terrible, uh, a returning Layla, who the crowd pretty much went mild for, and Tamina. Now, it was funny because uh, Tamina's Tamina's in expression during that entire event, you know, she had that nice little smile, and it was, good, it was good to see. I think if they wanted to try something different, they would put the belt on Tamina because a lot of people view the AJ-Tamina relationship much like they viewed Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash or Diesel at the time in the sense that you had the, the smaller guy that ran his mouth, always had the big guy back him up, and then when it was the big guy's time to shine... Uh, the little guy kind of went on the defensive. So definitely very interesting to see where they're going with that. I just feel that the the whole Vicky Guerrero Divas title invitational is, is, like I said, just a cheap way 
to get all the divas involved, much like the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, but at least that has some significance from, you know, from a historic standpoint with it being named after Andre the Giant. The the funny thing with this is we know without a doubt that AJ will probably lose this match. Uh the 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 guy who who's all about the story, that guy, which is me, I'd like to see AJ retain just overcoming the odds and continuing to be uh, kind of the cornerstone of the Divas division, but we all know that's not going to be the case. On the contrary, if you start putting the belt on one of the Total Divas cast member, on you know one of the cast members from Total Divas, you'll be able to kind of expand on that product a little more. Uh, again, if if they were to take the belt from AJ, I'd like to see Tamina get the belt, just because it would be a way to kind of drag out that feud a little more and allow Tamina to kind of work, not even as a face, but just with AJ, who actually is a, a a surprisingly solid wrestler, probably one of the few in the current Divas roster who really knows how to get the job done in the ring. So we got a brand new announcement for the Hall of Fame. Of course, we know the Ultimate Warrior was going in there. Jake the Snake, Lita, uh, Carlos Colon, Paul Bearer, and Mr. T, of course, going in the celebrity portion of the Hall of Fame. Uh, the newest inductee, of course, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. And it's funny because a lot of people are saying, oh, you're inducting Razor Ramon, which means you're inducting Scott Hall. Now, it's interesting because a lot, a, a lot of websites are reporting that they're inducting Razor Ramon because of his historic significance with Shawn Michaels in the ladder match and, you know, that being a big part of it. But they're also saying it because they didn't want to induct Scott Hall because they're reserving that honor for when they induct the NWO, which allegedly is supposed to be taking place next year. Now, I don't I don't mind that. I think it's okay, but they're really they're really making a lot of these guys two time Hall of Famers, which kind of waters down the 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 historical significance of guys being in the Hall of Fame. Like I kind of let it go with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen because the Four Horsemen as an entity were definitely Hall of Famers. And Ric Flair, obviously, is a Hall of Famer. So in that respect, I was kind of willing to let that slide. Same thing with Shawn Michaels going in the Hall of Fame. And then if they decide, oh, we're going to induct D-Generation X, he's going to be a two-time Hall of Famer. So when you go down that list, it's like Scott Hall was in the NWO, and he's going to also go in as Razor Ramon. So he'll be a two-time Hall of Famer. If you count Hogan, Hogan will be a two-time Hall of Famer, and Nash will be a a first-time Hall of Famer. And these are the kind of things that, again, while it's cool from a from a from a awesome standpoint, you know, oh man, the NWO is going in the Hall of Fame. Don't get me wrong, you know, they changed the landscape of professional wrestling, but you gotta kind of it has to be viewed differently. Like I don't think Scott Hall should get two rings. I'm I'm already frustrated by the fact that Macho Man still hasn't gone in the Hall of Fame. And Macho Man, if you want to get technical, was part of the NWO as well. But that's that's something to discuss at a later date. The class that's going in there now, a lot of guys definitely deserve it. Jake the Snake, uh, first and foremost. Even I feel Jake the Snake deserves it more than the Ultimate Warrior because I feel that the Ultimate Warrior's uh, induction is partly because they wanted to bring him back in the fold and use him for products and marketing etc etc jake the snake though he he was he's such a uh you know he's a very i kind of want to say not even technical but i just want to say his promo work his mind for the business it was just so unique for its time uh you know coming out there with the snake 
it was it was totally different than anything anybody had ever seen. I remember as a kid, what you know, I became a fan of Jake the Snake because of that. I was like, wow, you know, this dude comes out with the sack, and you know what's coming when he's going to throw the snake on somebody. It was it was really cool to see. Um, again, the class this year, pretty solid class. Lita, Lita, definitely well deserved honor. Her and Trish Stratus were the pretty much the the focal points of the WWE Divas division during that particular run, during the Attitude Era. So I can live with that. Paul Bearer, same thing. Guy deserves it. Carlos Colon, it, it, it's interesting because Carlos Colon is is a historic guy. But if if what I'm reading is to be believed about WWE purchasing the WWC tape library, it, it kind of, it doesn't water down the nomination, but again, it opens up that whole, oh man, you know, you're bringing this guy into the Hall of Fame because you want to get the tape library. But it is what it is. It's nothing. It's unavoidable. Of course, the Hall of Fame ceremony goes down the night before WrestleMania. So definitely keep an eye out for that on the WWE Network. And it's going to be aired in its entirety, which is going to be cool. Definitely uh, going to be some great speeches. I'm definitely looking forward to the Warriors speech as well as Jake the Snake's Robert, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts speech. And I'm curious to see, uh, you know, how Razor Ramon handled, well, Scott Hall handles his nomination and I'm curious to see if The Undertaker and Kane induct Paul Bearer because I couldn't see anybody more fitting than those two individuals so we shall see what happens uh, last but not least The Shield The Real Americans this was the coming out party everybody talks about The Shield being on this on this upper echelon and I felt that this match was the coming out party not only because of the chemistry between uh, the Shield and Cesaro and Swagger, but just uh, Seth Rollins especially. It's very easy to talk about Roman Reigns and him being the main event player, or talking about Dean Ambrose's crazy style, and and looking at that as as pretty much um, you know markers for success. And Rollins has always kind of been not an afterthought, but he's being viewed now more so. He's, he, you know, being discussed as the architect of the shield and the high flyer of the shield and the glue that holds the shield together. I'm really, I'm, it's re- it makes me very happy to see that management is starting to see that Rollins isn't just, you know, CM Punk 2.0, as some people like to call him, and that he is definitely a guy that can stand on his own apart from the shield and has an impressive move set and the crowd was really really into it especially with that rally where he was just running all over the place dive here dive there all these punches kicks and then to finish it off that awesome curb stomp finisher it was a fantastic match 14 minutes to to wrap things up 14 minutes and it just it just ended very very nicely um Cesaro of course got involved uh, attacking Rollins post match uh, Reigns got his Superman spot in, plus the spear, and then of course the shield power bomb through the announce table, which le- led to Corporate Kane coming out with the Corporate Outlaws and setting up the match for WrestleMania. Now, not that this match isn't, you know, it's not it's not going to be a bad match because the uh, allegedly the New Age Outlaws wanted to work with the Shield, but I always felt. And I've talked about this before, that it would have been a great opportunity to bring up like the Ascension from NXT because they kind of fall in line with Kane's character. But since this is all, you know, corporate Kane and Triple H and all that, I can understand the outlaws being involved. And I like the way that that they that they booked it towards the end, that that the announcers sold it. It was the shield versus the suits. 
So definitely very, very interesting that they're going that route. The match itself, Kane, Kane isn't a shitty worker, so I know the match is going to be good. And the Outlaws, they continue to get the job done, especially the always impressive uh, Mr. Mr. Ass, of course. Um, he definitely gets the job done, Billy Gunn. Not to say that Road Dog is, is shitty by any means, but it's an interesting contrast because you have Road Dog, he handles all the heavy work on the mic, and Billy Gunn handles all the heavier work in the wrestling. So it's always been something that's been a recipe for success for those guys, but going in there against a team like the Shield, which are uh, in, very cohesive, they work very well in the six-man environment, it's going to be a, a very, very awesome match, and I think the Shield are going to be put over big time by the New Age Outlaws. And of course, last but not least, Brock Lesnar, Undertaker segment. We all know the Druids, the casket coming out. We know what's going to happen. If, if you haven't figured this out by now, you have not been watching wrestling for as long as I have. And the funny thing with that is that you're looking at it from the standpoint of, oh man, you know, it's the Druids. We know what's going to happen. And yeah, it, it's the Druids. We know what's going to happen. And therein lies the, the, the beauty of professional wrestling. You have two weeks before WrestleMania. You need The Undertaker to start using all the the Undertaker stuff that makes him such a great character. And when I talk about that, I talk about it from the sense of, oh, you know, you got the Druids, you got the Caskets, the Lightning, the Fog, the, you know, the back and forth, the disappearing. All of that stuff is crucial. All of that stuff is is stuff that's worth addressing. I think that's one of the things that, for me personally, I've always enjoyed when these guys have matches with The Undertaker, and that's not so much the matches themselves, but the build-up. And the build-up to those matches, is I think the best build-up I saw were the build-up with him and Shawn Michaels, especially when Shawn Michaels started, you know, coming out dressed all in white, being, you know, the anti-dead man, all that stuff. I really felt that that really worked in the favor of The Undertaker and really helped cement that match as, as a must-see. That's not to take anything away from Brock Lesnar, but I just feel that Paul Heyman shouldering the bulk of the load. And yeah, you have Brock Lesnar there for the physicality, and that's great, but it's just, it's not the same. On the contrary, I do feel that when you look at it from that standpoint, you're not getting the, you know, you're not getting 110%. What you're getting is you're getting, you know, you're getting some, some, it's almost forced, you know, it's, it almost feels like Brock Lesnar has to go above and beyond to make it work. And that's not how it goes. When you're dealing with The Undertaker, it kind of just flows freely, you know, that you bounce the ideas off each other. Hey, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. And we're really going to push it. It almost feels like Paul Heyman shouldering the bulk of it. And Brock Lesnar is just going to come out and, uh, you know, he's going to he's going to come out and do a paint by numbers match with The Undertaker, which Again, some people are going to find to be the more effective thing to do, but you know, I I have my I have my concerns. I do feel that it's not going to be the same caliber match we've come to expect from the Undertaker in previous outings. That's all I'm saying. I really hope I'm proven wrong, but that's kind of like that that's what it's really starting to look like. Um huh, it seems that I've been informed that we are not connected on the uh, blog talk radio side. So hold on one second. Let me let me see if I can dial back in. So there you have it. It seems uh, blog talk radio is not working. We got no video. It's just uh, 
it's just a crazy, crazy night. And I see a lot of you guys are in the Mixler on the Mixler side of things, and I can't even see the Mixler chat. I don't even know why, but it's. It, I should I should have just taken tonight off. <laughs> That's what it's really looking like. I really should have taken tonight off. Anyway, with that said, let's get through the the rest of the segment for this week. Um, on the TNA side of things, we if if you've been following TNA Impact, you know that. Uh, Gail Kim and Lady Tapa had an interesting match because number one, they their partnership was dissolved, but number two, they they you know they kind of just moved really fast from the dissolving of the partnership into a full on match, and that is because Lady Tapa actually is done with TNA. Her her final appearance was that match with Gail Kim, and she is no longer with the company. Definitely very interesting to see them part ways with her because she. She had a ton of potential. She had a very unique look. She had a lot of presence, and I'm shocked that they didn't really do anything further with her. But, you know, I think that if she goes and gets a, uh, so, some matches in, in the independence, I'm sure that maybe WWE, uh, excuse me, WWE will, will pick her up because, like I said, she has a very, very unique look. Again, wish her the best of luck. We'll see where she ends up. I'm sure she will... Um, We'll see her around on the independents, and whether she comes back to TNA or maybe WWE takes notice remains to be seen. Uh, Stacy Keebler, we did, we had a lengthy discussion about her two weeks ago, and you know her her very very quick nuptials, and we were all joking around, joking about how you know her contributions to this business and how you know whether she was pregnant or not. Well, Keebler does have some cookies in the oven. She did announce on People.com that she is pregnant. So there you have it. We. You know, we talked about this two weeks ago, and now it's 100% confirmed. Stacey Keebler is going to be a mom. AMC looks to be throwing their hat into the wrestling side of things by actually picking up a reality show with Billy Corrigan and Resistance Pro Wrestling. Um, this is actually going to follow not only Corrigan and his work with the pro wrestling world, but also how he's going to manage the creative direction of Resistance Pro Wrestling. Everybody talks about, um, you know, WWE being approached by AMC and all this stuff, but it's really looking like AMC wants to start branching out into wrestling programming. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Billy Corgan and Resistance Pro, and if that's going to be a you know beta testing phase for them to get into some deeper partnerships with some wrestling organizations. Now, of course, it's very easy to assume that. If Spike TV doesn't doesn't re, re up with TNA and instead opts for WWE programming, that TNA may find a home with AMC. That is something to consider. Obviously, the ongoing negotiations between WWE and you know NBC and USA are something I've been watching very carefully. But at the end of the day, where the chips may fall. It, it's not really going to hurt the product. It, it, the only way you're going to hurt the product is if you put it on a channel that's not easily accessible. I know everybody talks about WGN, and you know I, I actually found out I have that channel, and that's kind of been the network that's been picking up a lot of steam this week. But again, the the biggest the biggest jump for me would be if WWE remained on USA, where they have a huge influence, or they decided to go to Spike TV. Now, let's talk a little bit about Christian because this this bit of news is a little a little concerning for me because we we had Christian win the match Monday night. Everybody was pumped. Yeah, Christian Big E 
for the IC title. Let's get ready for it. Then main event came, and earlier on in the day, they said, oh, you know, Christian's not going to be having a match with Big E on main event, and he was pulled. Turns out that Christian actually suffered a slight concussion during the four-way match on Raw. Now, this is there, there's a lot of concern here. Of course, Christian came back from some injuries, and you know he's been dealing with concussions before, but it's, it's painting a picture of Christian's in-ring career winding down. Uh, a lot of people are saying that Christian was planning on, re- you know, he had intention on retiring when his contract was up, and you know he's 40 years old. Creative doesn't really isn't really utilizing him effectively, so you know it's it's crazy. But we we may we may not be. Sh- I'm, I personally wouldn't be shocked to hear that Christian was going to retire. And if he was, I think the guy's done a tremendous job with the WWE and. Who knows, maybe management will pick him up and put him to work in NXT and start working with the rookies. I really feel that Christian still has a lot to offer this business. The guy's been part of some historic moments, uh, ladder matches, a lot of great moments with Edge. Uh, His TNA run, which to some, it was forgettable, but I felt that Christian learned a lot while he was down there because he came back from TNA just as a better performer and... He was his his wrestling was just tighter. I think it was working with Kurt Angle and working with AJ Styles that really really helped cement Christian as a solid solid talent. Now, to see his career cut short the way it, it, it you know a lot of people are forecasting that it's going to be, it's it's a little troubling. So hopefully you know he the concussion isn't that bad and he can be cleared to resume active competition soon. But it really does put a dark cloud over Christian's career. Like I said, he's approaching forty. Creative just, you know, they're not utilizing him effectively. Don't, we should not be shocked if this does happen. That's all I'm saying. So, let's talk about Sin Cara. We all know Sin Cara performs every night or, you know, every, every week on WWE programming. And we all know that it's Hunico under the mask. Well, WWE announced today, effective, officially, as of today... That the original Sin Cara, which is Luis Ignacio Uribe Alverde, if I'm pronouncing that right because I don't want to use a whole bunch of ethnic accents, was effectively released as of the 26th. So he is out. Whether whether he's going to use the Sin Cara name on the independence remains to be seen, but the original Sin Cara is no more. Triple H's experiment, it honestly was a failure. Now... Do you want to blame Sin Cara? Do you want to blame Triple H? You could. You could flip it either way and blame either guy. Uh, Sin Cara, obviously, for not, you know, just going out there and, and being Mr. Glass or Triple H for allowing him to skip developmental and go up to the main card. Who knows? But the experiment as a whole was a failure. And at the end of the day, nobody came out winning. Yeah, you know, the gimmick is established and it's being used by Hunico, but for how long and to what end? Is it going to be, um, you know, a title opportunity, big match with Rey Mysterio, maybe just a renewed push for mainstream exposure? Who knows? But the the gimmick as a whole, just as of right now, failed. Sad to say, Triple H hasn't exactly been faring well with some of his talent acquisitions. Of course, Awesome Kong is one that a lot of people attribute as a failure. I personally don't because she had personal issues going on and, you know, the incident with her you know, with her losing her child 
and who knows she may come back and she may be better than when she was there the first time but she's she's someone that you can't write off the Sinkara situation like i said there's multiple people you can blame obviously like i said you can blame triple h and management for not allowing him to work uh developmental and to a degree he's to blame also because he should have said you know what let me learn your style instead of just the 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 bright lights being the big allure and you coming out there and expecting everybody to work your style and to in my opinion i felt that that was definitely part of the failure of the Sinkara character it was just the fact that they put him in there with a guy like jack swagger and he'd have to work the lucha libre style with jack swagger and that's it's just a, a contrast of styles that's so wide and so and so different that it's a recipe for disaster. So I really, I, when I started seeing matches like that, I said, this is just not going to work. And it didn't. I mean, Hunico is different because he can work Lucha Libre style and he's been in WWE developmental. So he knows how to work the WWE style and he knows how to time his spots and do the right thing. But, you know, the original Sin Cara, it's just, it was just a, a, a dud from start to finish. And obviously there's the, the speculation that he's fighting WWE to use the Sin Cara character on the independence that he owns the character. He can't use Mystico because Mystico belongs to the other organization and they have their own Mystico now. So it's, it's just a, a no win situation for all parties involved. But like I said, we'll see what happens. Maybe Sin Cara will start becoming a, a more prominent contributor to the product as a whole. I mean, they're already using his character in the Scooby-Doo film. And, you know, we saw him Monday night. Maybe we will get that final match with Rey Mysterio. And maybe Rey Mysterio can use that to retire. Again, something that I'm not 100% sure is going to happen. But I really feel that the Sin Cara character does have legs. And there is... There is plenty of opportunity for the character to be successful, whether management or the the WWE decides to go that route is something that, in my opinion, remains to be seen. But I will say this, you need you can utilize the Sin Cara character and use him as your next Rey Mysterio if you market him effectively. I do feel that that's one of the things that they're not doing and it's truly sad because like I said, it's the the character has the look, he has the appeal, he's just right for a good feud and just a little bit of tweaking to be super effective. Will WWE heed that bit of advice? Who knows? But as of right now, that is not going to be something that we're gonna be seeing in the short term. Maybe down the road, but right now right now I think him being out there with Scooby-Doo is about as mainstream as we're going to get. Okay, so that actually is going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Um, as always, our wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEshop.com. Use the promo code WWESAVE10 for orders over $70 to save $10 on your order. Again, WWESAVE10, and you can use that at WWEshop.com. All right, let's talk some gaming news, shall we? So last week we were discussing the announcement of Assassin's Creed and they were doing Assassin's Creed Unity and Assassin's Creed Comet. Well, it's 100% official. Ubisoft decided to not dispute any of the rumors and decided to release an announcement trailer for it. Uh, what they're saying is that Assassin's Creed Unity will be the next-gen 
Uh, the next-gen entry for Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Comet, will be PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and is going to be what is being considered a direct sequel to Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and will allow you to take the role of a Templar this time around. So, very interesting to see that we're not only going to get a current-gen Assassin's Creed that it will be a direct sequel to Black Flag, but we're also going to get Assassin's Creed Unity as well. As usual, you can expect those games in the fall, probably around October or so. That's usually when Assassin's Creed hits stores, but again, don't hold me to it because they may probably release one to not cannibalize the sales of the other, so maybe a month apart. Something to keep an eye on for sure, but it will be competing at some point against Batman Arkham Knight, which is getting tremendous tremendous press obviously for the reveal of the excuse me the reveal of Arkham Knight plus the return of Kevin Conroy as Batman plus a you know just rocksteady releasing a brand new Batman game so again something to keep an eye on with with regards to the fall with Assassin's Creed and Batman Arkham Knight Titanfall is another new story I wanted to get into this week everybody's huge into Titanfall obviously next gen Xbox One, everybody's talking about it, telling me great things about how awesome Titanfall is. Oh, this game, it's it's badass, you get to do all this cool shit. But one of the things that's been happening is that people are, are getting bored with the game fairly quickly. And one of the reasons is just because it's becoming monotonous and repetitive. But as it turns out, Respawn is hearing your pleas for... Um, just a, a, a new way to enjoy the game, and they will be releasing additional DLC content and brand new game modes. Um, Vince Sampella uh, definitely gave an answer. Uh, you know, he kind of confirmed that by answering a fan's question on Twitter about more modes being on the horizon. So if you are playing Titanfall and you're feeling a little bored with it, definitely give it a, a chance to, you know, work itself in and be more effective, and who knows, maybe you guys will get some DLC sooner rather than later. On the PC side of things, we all know Diablo 3 is a game that has tremendous amount of fanfare. Everybody loved it on the PC, and then it, when it made the jump to consoles, people jumped on it right away, and they had a, a lot of positive things to say about it. Everybody who I know that's played it has thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, next-gen console owners, you're not going to be left behind with regards to that because Diablo 3 will be heading to Xbox One. It's going to be Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition. Um, as of right now, there's no particular timeline on when you can expect it, but the games for it will probably include the game's first expansion, which is Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls that debuted on the PC on Tuesday. And um, of course, Diablo 3 Evil Edition will probably be hitting PS4 in November, and it's going to include the main game and Reaper of Souls. So there you have it. Xbox One is going to get it, plus PlayStation 4. So if you've been holding out, or you weren't certain about Diablo, you might as well wait if you're going to pick up a next-gen console anyway, and you'll be able to get your hands on Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil. So, Star Wars comes into the gaming segment this week, and it, it's because EA is actually going to borrow, big shocker there, they're going to borrow the approach that Rocksteady utilizes for the Batman games and try and implement that with Star Wars. Now, you're probably trying to figure that out how that exactly is going to work. Well, we all know that Rocksteady created 
a Batman game, yes, utilizing elements of the Batman mythology, but they're utilizing it with their own story, with their own back end, and even with Arkham Knight. It's all the, the trademarks of Batman, but the Arkham Knight character is a brand new addition to the Batman universe. That's, you know, obviously courtesy of Rocksteady. It looks like EA wants to do the same thing where they don't want to make their games built around the films themselves, but they want to utilize the existing mythology and characters to create their own titles. While I do think that that works, I mean, look at Forced Unleashed. Forced Unleashed, you know, existed within the Star Wars universe and was an extremely enjoyable game. I really enjoyed it. I felt that the first one was substantially more enjoyable than the second only because I felt that the second game came out too quick and in my opinion was glorified DLC now if EA adopts this strategy I think that they can really um, expand on the mythology of Star Wars but in in keeping the general theme of it intact they'll be able to do a lot of cool stuff maybe you want to play as you know a bounty hunter like Boba Fett or a bounty hunter of the you know a Mandalorian bounty hunter that's not Boba Fett but that exists in that same universe maybe you want to use a a, a Jedi trainee that's not Starkiller or something like that that you want to try and go that route I do think that EA embracing this particular strategy may work it may actually be very very beneficial we'll see how that pans out in the coming months but I do I do have to commend them for thinking a little bit outside of the box even if it was at the expense of Rocksteady like I said we'll see how it pans out there's a lot of time between 2014 and when the next Star Wars movie comes out and between then and you know between then and now there's gonna be tons of Star Wars stuff that they're gonna try and cram down our throats anyway <sighs> let's let's talk a little bit about Oculus Rift of course Oculus Rift has uh, a tremendous amount of fanfare. Everybody's been talking about it from people that were looking forward to seeing the technology implemented on consoles to PlayStation's entry into that particular genre and even Xbox's foray into it as well. Turns out that the reason Oculus made news this week was because Facebook purchased the company for $2 billion. Now, the big thing out of this is that a lot of people obviously kickstarted the project and what's going to happen with those guys are they going to get a cut of that money yes no but facebook's uh purchase of oculus opens up a lot of different um things that can be done with that technology obviously the easy one is oh you know you're going to have virtual facebook and virtual status updates etc etc you're going to have a virtual thumb up you know you're going to do virtual thumbs up listen it's a oculus and the VR technology as a whole. And we talked a little bit about this last week. It's it's a it's a wonderful thing and there's probably tremendous potential there. But we must understand that it's way too advanced to be utilized from a from a standpoint where it will be effective, where it will be good. And that's one of the things that concerns me, you know, people people talk about, "Oh yeah, you know, Oculus this and Oculus that and the thing that gets me is that you're not really using it. You're not going to be able to really get the full benefit out of it if companies aren't jumping in bed to use the technology right away. So, yeah, it's very easy to get butt hurt and talk about, oh, yeah, you know, it's bullshit. I don't like, you know, I don't like what they're doing. I feel that it could be utilized better, blah, 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 you know, just things like that. And it's something that really, really concerns me. 
I see, um, actually, I just, uh, I see a lot of the guys are, I finally got the Mixler chat going, and I see that, um, Isaiah and Jay and those guys are in there. Uh, not sure why you guys are using the Mixler chat instead of the GFQ one. Uh, can you guys let me know if the GFQ chat is not working? I finally got into the Mixler one, and I see that you guys are, are in there. Um, thanks, Jay. I see Jay put Botch Mania, my take radio edition. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. I can always count on your wonderful feedback and support for the running gags this evening. But like I said, the Oculus purchase, everybody's up in arms and pissing vinegar about it. Oh, man, you know, fuck you guys. You guys are are ruining this company. You guys are are doing all these terrible things. But let's 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 be rational for a second. There is nothing being ruined because nobody's out there actively purchasing the technology. Some people, I think, just want to be upset for no apparent reason whatsoever. And I say that because, oh, you know, we can't we can't use this technology now because Mark Zuckerberg's going to use it to look into our homes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, Val just told me the GFQ chat works. Thank you, Val. It's just, you know, people people are upset and they're butthurt about something that it really has no bearing on our daily life. It really doesn't. Like, that's the shit that kills me. Like, I, I can understand if you are, if you're upset about, let's say, Google buying Facebook. The reason I can see somebody being upset about that is because then Google will just have everyone's information, you know? people people are just they're they're angry about something that just i don't feel affects their day-to-day now val says in the chat that devs are dropping because of facebook's involvement look not everybody's a fan of facebook but let's not kid ourselves we all use it and those of us that don't use it it's either because we just hate the company so much and it's not something we use or we just don't give a shit but in let's be realistic we all use some sort of social media. That's fine. So what? Facebook bought, bought Oculus for $2 billion. How does it affect you? And that's what I want. That's, that's really what gets me. How does it affect you? Now, Val says, uh, Facebook isn't known for openness on the dev side. Okay, but you know what? Just because Facebook scooped up Oculus Rift doesn't mean that no other company can put this technology out there and perhaps do a better job of it. I, that, that's what gets me. Like Everybody's really upset about a technology that they never really truly got to experience. It's not like, if, you know, it's not like Mark Zuckerberg decided, I'm going to buy microwaves and you know, all the microwaves are going to be made by Facebook ever, you know, forever. And you know, it's going to affect your day-to-day because you're going to have a Facebook microwave or a Facebook toaster. Who gives a shit? You know, they'll just have to pay Facebook a ton of money for licensing. It is what it is. But again, this is the development medium of companies by and large. Companies come out with all this great stuff. Bigger companies come along and scoop the shit up. That, that's just how it works. You know, it's it's not something where where people are. Yes. Do, would I like it to be, uh, you know, companies being small time and coming out with stuff? But you got to look at it like this. People. Let's 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 play a little a, a little armchair quarterback here. You know, a little a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of pretend. So let's say me, Slick, Val, and Jay, for instance, we come up with a microwave that not only can 
be used with metal utensils, but not only that, but also bakes and fries. Okay, bakes, fries, can use metal utensils, and it's a microwave. And I'm using the microwave because it's a day-to-day. It's something that affects us on a day-to-day basis. So the four of us put this together, and we do a Kickstarter. We raise, you know, a a million dollars. We raise a million dollars, and everybody's like, yeah, you're going to get your custom, uh, you know, uh, slick valve microwave or whatever you want to call it, your or your J slick, your J slick food warmer or whatever the case is, whatever it is, you're gonna get w- with your Kickstarter money. So you create it, and all of a sudden, another company, let's say, let's let's say Black and Decker, Black and Decker sees it and they go, wow, these guys, they're really onto something. Um, I think they're awesome. Let's let's make them an offer. So. Black and Decker calls us up and they say, listen, we want to buy your product and we want to buy your company, whatever it is, and we're going to pay you, you know, $10 million. Mind you, you made a million off a Kickstarter. A company's offering you $10 million for your product. Listen, let's not kid ourselves. We run on money, whether it's direct, indirect, you know, it's it's a money business and in terms of what looking at you know oculus rift and and facebook facebook has the deep pockets right now and if it wouldn't have been facebook it might have been google if it wouldn't have been google it would have been microsoft if it wouldn't have been microsoft it would have been apple somebody was going to buy that technology because it's way too easy to not want to get your hands in that cookie jar now, Val is saying, keep in mind, the people making the most noise are the original Kickstarter investors who are now forced out of the dev process or will have to pay for additional licensing. But if you don't, and then, you know, Val said, but if you don't provide your Kickstarter backers the project they were promised when they invested, that's kind of fucked up. It's true. I Look, I'm sure Oculus Rift is going to take care of their investors and, and all that because they're not going to, Facebook isn't going to want to deal with the negative press and they're probably going to give them some shoddy run-of-the-mill dev kit and they're gonna be like here you go here's your final product and that's it thank you for coming see you later as for the rest of us you know vr i got to agree like val said me personally i think vr sucks you know virtual reality it's cool and you know i've seen some crazy crazy um uses that have been that have been done with it so far different videos shared by the verge and the nerdist and and different sites and i see that playstation's trying to get into it but again in the movies um i I don't feel i don't feel that it's going to change my life in any shape or you know in any shape way or form like everybody's up in arms about it and a couple of people like i said i posed it on facebook and people you know val put rest in peace oculus um juan said now we can update our statuses without our phones uh ant put this is terrible news uh a person, uh, Zylona, uh, I don't, I can't, I don't want to mispronounce this person's name. Zylona said goodbye, all the potential it had. Hello, microtransaction and a bunch of old people playing Farmville in virtual reality. And again, it's, it's, it's something that's so easy to see and it's very easy to get upset about it. But at the end of the day, is it affecting anybody day to day? Minus minus those of us that invested that may have done a Kickstarter or may have been involved in the Kickstarter process, are we really investing money in such a way where it's gonna it's gonna hurt us? 
What I'm saying is like is fa- you know Facebook spent the money. Is it is it gonna is it gonna impact us in any way tomorrow? Maybe next week. Maybe next month. I really don't think it is in the least. On the contrary, I think that VR technology as a whole, in terms of it being utilized effectively day to day, whether it's for gaming, entertainment, business, medicine, whatever the case is, I think that's still a good five years off. I think that's that's a five year process that even when it reaches the five year mark is not going to be super effective. I think that it's still going to have bugs being worked out. It's the same thing when we started making the migration from laptops to tablets. And and the reason I say this is because when the tablet first came out, everybody was like, oh, this is bullshit. I don't see myself, you know, using a tablet day to day. Nowadays, a tablet in a lot of in a lot of instances is a replacement for a laptop or a netbook. Remember the netbook craze? I'm sure I'm sure Val can can vouch for this. Remember when netbooks were the end all be all because you had a laptop that cost $125 and had, you know, a 16 a 16 gig SD card for memory. You know? And it it was it was, you know, it was everybody going crazy. Hell, I remember I bought a netbook and I was running Linux, you know, it came with Linux at the time and I was kind of learning Linux as a trial by fire. And it was everybody was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I could buy a laptop for a hundred and fifty bucks and surf the web and read email and whatever. That was, you know, that again an advancement of technology that was useful that affected people day to day because it allowed people that didn't have a thousand dollars, that didn't have two thousand dollars for a laptop, to kind of dip their toes in the pool. And when the iPad came out. You know, the iPad came out and changed the game again. You know, it, it changed the way we consume content. Like right now, I, you know, I have all my comics and I read them on my on my Google tablet. You know, I have a Nexus tablet because uh, I decided to switch away from iPad. And the reason I did was just because it's 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 a lot easier for me to navigate, like in the sense of I plug in my tablet via USB. I drag the comics I want to read into a folder aptly named comics. I open the app. And I read my shit. I don't got to deal with iTunes. I don't got to deal with any of that shit. And again, it just changed the way I consume content. There's no long coffin boxes full of comics anymore that I got to thumb through. You know, I either use a Marvel Unlimited subscription or I download the comics or I go to a comiXology or whatever the case is and I read the books and I'm done. And in that respect, you see technology changes like tablets have replaced cookbooks, textbooks, regular books uh notebooks to some to some degree like that's a that's a product that changes the way we do everything the implementation of tablets when it comes to medicine it again just just really advanced really different and it's utilized in the day-to-day until virtual reality is used by a surgeon to operate on a tumor or to simulate the operation of a tumor or to simulate you know incidents that go on within the womb for children it's not gonna matter it doesn't mean anything so please you know take your mock upset butt hurt and shove it up your ass because it's worthless ish says in the in the mixler chat i remember early 90s when they had a virtual reality machine in the mall in orlando florida you stand up and walk around and shoot the other vr player it was cool so the tech is there but they need plenty of time and money to perfect it I think Facebook has the ability to do that. I mean, they can buy companies for billions. They have to know their shit. 
And that's, that, you know, it's an interesting way of looking at it. It's true. Facebook has this money and Facebook, like any other company, is dipping their hands in a lot of different, you know, like I said, sticking your hands in different cookie jars. You're going to pick up a VR company. You're going to pick up Instagram. You're going to pick up, you know, the, the, the chat one. You know, I don't even use it, so I forgot which one it is. But that's what I'm saying. Facebook is doing that the same way Google bought Motorola. And again, some companies that they absorb or they buy are going to succeed. Others are going to fail. Same thing with Nokia and, and Microsoft. It's going to happen either because they want the patents or they want the technology or they want something that's going to enhance our day-to-day -day living. I really don't think VR is going to enhance our day-to-day -day living for the foreseeable future. On the contrary, what we should focus on, on, on improving is our tablet infrastructure and making sure that we can get all the day-to-day -day programs to the point where tablets can replace netbooks or can replace laptops. We're almost there. And a lot of people, you know, we talk about, I've talked about the Microsoft Surface on and off, and I actually want to pick one up so I can do a lot of the stuff for the show. And the reason I'm referencing that is because for as much as people hate Windows, the, the Surface was the first leap forward where you have a, a tablet that can function as a PC fairly, fairly well. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's 10 inches. It's like this, you know? with your snap-on keyboard and you go about your business again you know it's um to each his own now now Val says the surface is an overpriced under spec laptop you know what's funny about that I was actually gonna pick up a surface on eBay because they had a, a big deal a big sale on their on a refurbished uh, surp uh surface tablet uh, the RT 32 gig was like 149 and the 64 gig pro which uses Windows 8 was like 399 at the time and I didn't do it because obviously I built uh, the new PC that we're using for the show but again when when it gets to that price point and the accessibility it makes you contemplate man you know I can pick this up and use it obviously I didn't pull the trigger on it but it's worth considering the same thing with Chromebooks you know I was when I said oh, if I don't get a surface I'll pick up a Chromebook I was like hey you know do, am I really going to use a Chromebook as effectively as a, as a tablet or a laptop? Same thing. If, I, if you're just writing, like in my case, you know, show notes, um, articles for the site, etc., you're going you're gonna to get whatever use out of it that you need. I just need something that I can go online, write a post, maybe edit some pictures quick and dirty, and, and go about my business. I mean, sure, I can get a full-on laptop, but I just don't want to deal with that. I want to be able to... If I'm using something like the Surface, I can uh, plug in my pictures, uh, plug in my camera, edit them on the go, etc., etc. You know, the Chromebook is kind of there. And Windows 8, I've seen some cheap Windows 8 laptops, but they're under spec. And I just want something that's small that I can use for what I need and throw it in the bags, and, you know, throw it in my camera bag and be done. Now, um, Ish says we should at least be able to speak on our cell phones underground first. You know, it's funny about that. I don't know if you've been reading the daily news lately. This is, you know, straight New York. Um, but we actually are starting to be able to use our phones underground. Uh, the plan is for all the major subways to have full Wi-Fi connectivity by the end of the year. So we are almost there. So it's funny you bring that up because most of the big stations I've been able to use Wi-Fi, you know, 34th Street, Herald Square. Penn, uh, Penn Station, um, you know, 42nd Street, all the, all the major stops, I've been able to access Wi-Fi pretty easily. So 
the ability to to talk underground, we're almost there. Not not that you really want to talk underground anyway, but you want to be able to maybe do some work, answer some emails, etc. And of course, it's going to be Manhattan only. <laughs> you know that he writes. You know he put Manhattan only, and of course, you know it's going to be Manhattan because that's where all the fucking money is. So you want to be able to, you know, have your your PowerPoint presentation done while you're riding the seven train, you know. With regards to my commentary on the Surface, Val says uh, the Surface is a good idea, but Microsoft needs some more work. I think the Surface Two series has better specs. It's true, definitely has better specs. Anyway, last bit of gaming news I want to talk about is EA Sports um, UFC title, which is going to be due out for Xbox One and PS4. It was supposed to be coming out later on this month. Clearly, that shit's not happening. But a lot of the developer diaries that I've been seeing, and there's even some I've shared on the site really show the next-gen graphics putting in a lot of work and giving us what I hope is a complete UFC experience. Now, the fighter mechanics look really good. The the play, the play fighter models look really good. But when it comes to EA, I mean, EA Sports MMA was a, was a pretty solid game, a fairly enjoyable game. But again, you can have all the bells and whistles in the world, but if the game doesn't look good, and I mean, if, if the game looks good and plays like shit... People are going to let you know about it. So please don't put yourselves in that situation where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we got this game. It's going to be the shit. And then you get the game and it's a whole bunch of razzle dazzle. And then at the end of the day, it plays like shit. I don't feel that that's going to do EA any favors. And with all the money that the UFC has on the line, you do not want to do that. Definitely don't. All right. So. That actually is going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. Like I said, things have been a little quiet. So let's get into some entertainment news because there is quite a bit to discuss. Let's get to it. Alright, so we're going to open up this week's entertainment segment with Frozen going into the record books once again. Obviously, we know that it has been killing it on home video sales, both for Blu-ray and DVD. But, get this, it goes into the record books with another milestone. That being that Frozen is now the 13th highest grossing film of all time, earning $1 billion. Frozen beats out Jurassic Park, The Dark Knight, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace... Uh, the Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, and Alice in Wonderland, all of which passed the billion-dollar mark, but now Frozen has surpassed that with $1.3 billion total. This joins a very, very, very big company, uh, you know, a very, I, I kind of want to say elite company of films, including, get this, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Toy Story 3, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, The Dark Knight Rises, Skyfall, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Iron Man 3, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, The Avengers, Avatar, and Titanic. So there you have it. Titanic, of course, number one, $2.7 billion. Avatar is two point one, And of course, The Avengers, $1.5 billion. It's funny because Ish says that um, uh, Frozen wasn't that great. You know what the thing is? And, and a lot of people, they don't, they, they look at this differently. When it comes to Pixar films, there's, there's three standards you got to look at. 
the animation, the 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 actors that do the voices, and the overall message of the film. So, in my opinion, like I remember when um, what the hell was the movie with the redheaded girl that was the Archer? Ah, shit. Uh, anyway, it'll 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 come to me eventually. Uh, when when you look at a movie like that, and um, you look at Frozen, you're realizing that it's two different things in the sense that they're 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 catering to two different genres. They're catering to two different fan bases. Same thing when you look at Toy Story. Each one has a different niche that it covers. Now with Frozen, it's very easy to say, you know, this is a this is a girly movie. This is a a movie for girls, and it is, but. Whatever message that that movie conveyed was effective enough to make it earn a billion dollars. Ah, Brave. Thank you, Ish. You know, I saw Brave when it, when it was on cable, and when I saw it, and I, and I only caught like the last 20 minutes of the film, I was like, wow, the animation looks really good. But the story just didn't, it didn't connect. It didn't resonate. It's not, and you know, I'm a, I'm a grown-ass man, so you know, for me to sit here and say I like watching Finding Nemo and I like watching Toy Story... It's, you know, fuck it. You know, I, I can say that. But that's what I mean. When you sit down and you watch certain movies, they resonate with you. They, they, they reach you on a different level. And a film like Frozen reached an audience that was the target. And that being little girls. Little girls flocked to that movie immediately. Not only that, but, you know, you had the songs, which were really good. You had people that were really into it. And, and just the animation style. Now, a lot of people can say... Frozen is just Rapunzel in the snow. You know, the same, the sa- I mean, uh, Tangled. It's the same animation style. And, and you know what it is to a degree. But, again, it's just about how the stories resonate with the audience. When you look at this list of the top 13 highest grossing films, there's a movie there for everybody. You know, Ish says, Brave was better than Frozen and fuck it, I like Finding Nemo. It's true. Love Finding Nemo. I never get tired of watching it. Like Finding Nemo, The Lion King is my favorite Disney movie of all time, of all time, and um, you know it, it. That's what I'm saying. Like it just resonates with you in in a very particular way. Now, looking at the top 13 films, like I said, you have a film for everybody. You have you know Titanic. You have Avatar. You have the Avengers, Harry Potter, Transformers, 007, and Every one of these films, if you say, hey, that movie wasn't good or that movie sucked, you know, you're going to have a large audience that's going to defend that film or not defend it, depending on which film it is. Like if I said, hey, I thought The Dark Knight Rises was amazing. There's plenty of people that didn't like it, especially after watching it a, a, a lot of times, you know, repeatedly. People will come back and they'll be like, you know, it really wasn't that good. And again, I'm like, hey, I thought it was awesome. But that's just me, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like people, people view these films, and, and they they connect with them for different reasons. Now, Frozen, it it didn't you know get into the top five, but to have the amount of fanfare it had, uh, you know, Oscar con- you know Oscar buzz, it also just had a tremendous buzz going in from just so many people enjoying it. I'm not shocked that it made the amount of money that it did. But again, you're joining a company of very, very unique films. You know, a, a strong case can be made for Pirates of the Caribbean for not only being on there, but being on there twice. And I know a, a large amount of people hate that hate that series. I know a lot of people that are like, yo, that movie sucks. Or they hate it because they either hate Johnny Depp 
or they don't like pirates or they don't like the story. It's um you know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy that people would really go out of their way and say that, but that's what happens. Every one of these films has a passionate fan base that will defend it. Like I said, if I said to you, you know what? I thought Iron Man 3 wasn't as good as the first two. Some people will be like, yo, it's fucking blasphemy. You're full of shit. Other people will be like, eh, it was all right. And that's what happens. Now, with, with regards to Titanic and Avatar, any film that eclipses those marks, again, you have to look at it as an asterisk because it's a different economy. It's different. It, you know, the price of 3D and the price of IMAX, all of that has to be factored in. So when, when, when you tell me, oh, you know, somebody dethroned Avatar and you're telling me that in 2014, I would expect a movie with a large amount of fanfare to do that because guess what? There's, there's more money at stake. It's very different when you tell me that The Lord of the Rings Return of the King was number seven because back then it was a different economy versus Skyfall. And these are things that every time I look at these movies reaching the billion dollar mark, it, you know, it makes me very happy to see because obviously not everybody's bootlegging fucking movies, but, um, you know, it's the same thing. You're, 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 you're spending the money on something you enjoy. Now I see that Ish said, um, I'll always defend Star Wars for life. Now it's funny you bring that up because Star Wars, Star Trek, they're, they're very, very passionate fan bases. But again, they go into that whole, they go into that whole spiel where if you say, oh, you know, the first three Star Wars films weren't that bad, you'll have somebody come out of the woodwork immediately and be like, oh my God, they were complete shit. Are you crazy? Me personally, I'm of the school of thought that the first film, The Phantom Menace, didn't become great until Darth Maul got involved. Not to say that it sucked, but it could have been better. The second film, you know, whiny ass Anakin Skywalker, eh, it is what it is, but they finally figured it out in the third film, and the third film was probably my favorite out of the first trilogy. With regards to the second film... You know, I, you can, you can, the Empire Strikes Back, definitely, definitely up there, but Return of the Jedi was just, you know, it was just, again, they finally figured it out, they finally got it right, and I'm sure people are going to come and be like, dude, you're full of shit, it wasn't that good, it wasn't, it was that good, whatever the case is, but again, when movies like this reach that upper echelon, the billion dollar mark, it brings a smile to my face, you know, because it shows that people aren't, they're not out there bootlegging everything, and people still like the full theater experience me personally i want to you know i'm gonna go try and see the raid this weekend if i don't see the raid i'll see sabotage and you're probably saying to yourself why would you pay money to see the raid or to see sabotage but the reasoning is because if you go and you spend eight dollars and you go see it as a matinee you're 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 helping the industry you're doing the right thing sure it's very easy to go and download a shitty torrent and throw it up on your computer monitor and watch it and it's kind of blurry and shitty but if you spend $8 on a matinee, it's not the end of the fucking world. You know, it is what it is. Anyway, so in New York's Daily News, I read an article about Paul Walker's scenes for Fast and Furious 7. Now, we all know that Fast and Furious 7 resumed filming, and what they're saying is that they're gonna, Universal's going to be using body doubles and CGI effects to include him in any scenes that he hadn't been able to finish at the time of his death. So they've hired allegedly four actors with body types very similar to Paul's physique, and they're going to be used as the basis for any movement that he's doing in the film. And Paul's face and voice are going to be uh, 
added in with CGI. Now, if you've seen the 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 last Tron movie, you know that CGI, especially like when they de-aged um oh, what the hell's his name? Jesus. Uh Oh, damn it. What's his name? Oh, the guy that played Flynn. Anyway, when they de-aged the guy that played Flynn, it was, you know, it was the same thing. It was very weird because if you watch that movie in like 240 hertz or you watch it, you know, with motion flow, it do- it looks very, very unnatural. Now, in the Paul Walker case, you know, it- it's it's not going to be something that's going to look a- completely natural, but you got to finish the films. And, fa- and honestly, if you're going to finish it, you're going to finish it with Fast 7, so be it. You know, if you're going to finish it with Fast 7 and be done with it, so be it. it, it it'll it'll be as effective as, as can be for, you know, what the circumstances allow. In either case, the film is going to be hitting theaters April 10th, 2015. And whether it's going to be the last one or not remains to be seen. Who knows? They may spin it off and they may follow just Vin Diesel's character or they just may follow The Rock's character. Who knows? But, you know, seven films, I think I think they've uh, they've they've figured it out already. Val says they're going to spin it off to the Rock movie, which not a not a shocker if that's the case, but something that I wouldn't be surprised about either. Anyway, so let's get into box office numbers. It shouldn't come as a shock that Divergent or Divergent or D- Divergent, whatever you want to, Divergent was number one, fifty six million dollars. Uh, number two, Muppets Most Wanted. Number three, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Uh, three hundred Rise of an Empire took the number four slot. God's Not Dead took number five. Needs for, Need for Speed took number six. I got to see that before it gets uh, kicked out of the theaters. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel was number seven. Nonstop was number eight. The Lego Movie was number nine. And Tyler Perry, The Single Moms Club was number ten. So there you have it. Of course, this weekend, we got The Raid 2. We got Sabotage. And next week, The Captain. The Captain is coming in. To, to own the box office for the next couple of weeks because seriously Captain America and the Winter Soldier with the amount of fanfare that is going that is that is everywhere about this movie I can't fucking wait to see it it's driving me nuts people on Twitter oh man it's fucking crazy and then um you know somebody shared the the, the post credits one of the first scenes um after the credits some people have shared everything that happens after the credits it's just driving me nuts I can't wait to see it it looks amazing everybody that um that i know that's involved in the in the press side of things that got to see it they tell me that it's probably the best marvel film it's it's ridiculous it is ridiculous yeah val captain america it it's you know everything about it they said was done right the writing the fight choreography uh the progression of captain america's character everything but i will tell you this not not nothing too spoiler heavy i'm just gonna say that it does set up age of ultron in the first set of credits and the second set of credits sets up something completely different completely different and and from what i've heard and what i've read cuz i i have to do it you know it's part of my job uh, the 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 second set of credits is is going to be ridiculous so with that said please 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 i cannot stress enough don't be an asshole in other words don't walk out of the theater as soon as the credits roll because Plenty of people walk out as soon as that first set of credits is over, and then when you walk out and you're talking about the scenes and you hear you see them in the parking lot, oh my god, I missed that. Yes, yeah, stupid, you did. 
you did. Because that's, that's, that's the shit that kills me. You know, it's like, it's a Marvel movie. Stay after the credits. I cannot stress it enough. If you want to know the future of Marvel and their next phase, you will stay after not one, but both sets of credit scenes. Please, I'm begging you. Please, because I want to be able to talk about this with you guys in the next couple of weeks. And I know, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys are, are going to be smart. And you're going to stay after the credits and do the right thing. And then I know some of you are just going to be like, oh, man, I missed that. And you're going to be pissed off. Val says, I just hope Falcon isn't hokey. From what I've heard, they say that Falcon's character was probably one of the, the, the most well-used characters. And he actually fits in to the Marvel Universe done the way he's been done. You know, a couple of people were pissed off. Oh, why doesn't he have the bird? Or why doesn't he wear the red outfit? And once again, I stress this every time we discuss this. Some of this stuff that you see in the comics can't translate correctly into the real world. A black guy wearing a red leotard with wings just doesn't work. It just looks stupid. It looks stupid. And the reason I'm talking about this is because we're going to talk about the Ninja Turtles trailer, and I want to get into that. You know, Val says, Val Falcon in the comics was the most racist shit Marvel did in the 80s. And that's what I'm saying. There's, there's so many things that can be discussed in terms of what's right and what's wrong. But the fact of the matter is there's just certain things that don't translate well. They just don't. Some things just don't work. Like, like here, here's an example. Scarlet Witch. A lot of you have seen the pictures of Scarlet Witch from the Age of Ultron's filming. And people are like, why is she wearing that? Why is she dressed like an Olsen triplet? Why does she look so emo? Blah, blah, blah. Because a big red corset and a giant red thing on her head is not going to work in the real world. It's not going to work. It's not. I got to tell you guys, you have to trust the system to a degree. Sure, sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it works too well. The prime example is Iron Man. Everybody's like, oh, you know, Iron Man's going to suck. He's not that great of a character. And everybody all of a sudden now are longtime Iron Man fans. I know a bunch of guys who I am friends with. For a long time, and they're 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 longtime comic book readers, and all of a sudden they're like, "Yo, man, fucking Tony Stark, he's the fucking man." And I look at them and I go, "You're the same guy who I worked in the comic store with that said to me that Iron Man is a is a can opener with a light bright in the middle of it." You know, I know plenty of people that have said that, or 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 guys who were hardcore fans of like Spider Man or the Hulk. All of a sudden, you see like their avatars have have Iron Man on it or all this shit. All of a sudden, everybody's on Iron Man shit, and it's only because you're a fan of Robert Downey Jr. Let's let let's accept the shit for what it is. You, you're digging Robert Downey Jr. You thought he killed it as Iron Man, so all of a sudden now Iron Man's your favorite hero. Listen, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. They're all great characters, but you know what, what, what the one thing they don't have? Good villains. The rogues gallery for these guys is shit. They have one or two main bad guys, but the rest of their rogues gallery is a who's who of fucktards. All of them. All of them. Let's think about this. Let's go down the list. Thor has Loki, the Enchantress, the Frost Giants. You know, maybe you want to get into... Um, Beta Ray Bill, who ended up becoming a hero. 
you, come on. Uh, you could talk about uh, the Berserker. You can talk about Surtur. Yeah, he has a decent rogues gallery, but it's not its not setting the world on fire. Let's talk about Captain America. Captain America's best villains are the Red Skull and Crossbones. Maybe um, Madam Hydra, if you want to get into it. Maybe the Red Skull's daughter. Uh, maybe the Serpent Society, and that's a stretch. But again, you know, Baron Zemo. Yeah, I like Baron Zemo only because of Baron Zemo's transition to the Thunderbolts. But if you look at Baron Zemo before he joined the Thunderbolts, and you look at that lame-ass costume, you're going to be like, look at this pink Spider-Man-looking motherfucker with this big furry shit around his neck. I'd slap the shit out of him. Kind of a tough guy is he? And that's what I'm saying. Like, And it's funny, Val says Baron Zemo was a scrub. And it's true. You look at a lot of these villains, and you're like, oh, these guys are shit. Same thing when you look at Iron Man. Iron Man, for all the fanfare and everything that everybody loves about Iron Man, most of his villains are just other guys in tin cans. The exceptions are the Mandarin and maybe Fing Fang Foom, maybe Modok just because he's a squishy little fucking douchebag, but the rest of them, dog shit. And, and let's talk about Modok. Let's think of Modok on the big screen, how shitty that would look. You know? Iron Man, other than the Mandarin and Fing Fang Foom, because you have a giant dragon that you have to fight, the rest of it is shit. And let's not even go into Black Widow and Hawkeye, whose villains are pretty much every other villain the Avengers have. Come on. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're talking about deeper villains, Spider-Man's rogues gallery is a who's who of guys that'll beat the holy shit out of you. A who's who. You got Green Goblin. The Rhino, Craven the Hunter, Venom, Carnage, Toxin, Anti-Venom, uh, The Shocker, if you want to get real shitty, The Beetle, Boomerang, um, Moreland, who is, who is a, who's a serious problem now, uh, Mr. Negative, uh, Hobgoblin, Demo Goblin, The Spider Doppelganger, Shriek. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, like Spider-Man's rogues gallery, Batman's rogues gallery, and even Batman's to a degree aren't as great as, as a lot of people make them out to be. But again, these are the things that when you look at, you have to understand that certain things, thank you, uh, Strider, Jeff Bridges, some of, the, some of the things translate into screen better than others. For everybody that's, that's pissed off about, um, you know, that, that's pissed off about Falcon not wearing the red jumpsuit, and people were pissed off about it, or Heimdall being black, or... You know, the Scarlet Witch looking like 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 an like an emo kid. Like listen, certain things just don't work. I'm more I'm more worried about characters actually working in the real Marvel universe in the theaters because I want their films to succeed versus their costumes not looking like shit. Like think about it. everybody's like, oh Wolverine should have worn the yellow costume. Why? Why did Wolverine need the yellow costume? Was it gonna make him any more violent than he should have been? Because that's where I felt Wolverine was lacking in the I'm going to cut you into itty bitty fucking pieces department. That's what I felt was missing. It's like it's like the same thing with with the Punisher. Let's talk about the Punisher. When when Thomas Jane did the Punisher. Everybody was like, hey, man, this was the Punisher. It was awesome. It was OK. It was all right. Everybody's like, oh, this movie was the Punisher. This was the best Punisher I've ever seen. Of course it is when you're comparing it to Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. Of course it's amazing. 
fucking an episode of Gumby with the blockheads is better than the than the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Anything is better than that. That's the movie you watch late at night when you're fucking bored. Everybody thinks, you know, Punisher Warzone was was really shitty or whatever it is, but Punisher Warzone is probably the most accurate depiction of the Punisher that I've seen on screen. The Punisher isn't motivated by revenge. The Punisher is a fucking psychopath. The sooner we realize it, the better off we are. And that's what Punisher Warzone emphasized. It was like, listen, this Punisher's a fucking lunatic, and his villains are even crazier. And that's it. And the Punisher's villains are the Mafia and, you know, Jigsaw and, 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 and most of Spider-Man's villains. Like, the Punisher doesn't even have a fucking rogues gallery. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like people, they get pissed off about certain aspects of, of, of Marvel continuity or DC continuity, and they forget that some of the shit just doesn't translate. Like, when Daredevil debuts on Netflix, here's what you got, you know, and it's funny that Val brings it up. Daredevil brings to the table Bullseye, the Kingpin, Elektra, and the Hand. That's really it. That's what Daredevil brings to the table. Electra, Bullseye, the Kingpin, and the Hand. That's it. So it's pretty much, you know, Boston Legal with some ass kicking. That's it. That is it. And that's why it it, it being on Netflix is okay. If you wanted to do a TV series about the Punisher, I would put it on cable, on FX or AMC, and it should just be him shooting shit. That's it. Do you need a whole big movie to tell this whole big contrived origin of the Punisher? Absolutely not. We know what happens. His family gets killed, he goes fucking nuts, and people get lead salads for dinner. That's it. That's it. There's, there's nothing complex about the Punisher. The same way there was nothing complex about Ghost Rider. You know who made Ghost Rider complex? Nicholas fucking Cage. That's who made Ghost Rider complex. Here's here. Let me explain Ghost Rider to you. This is how it works. Guy makes a deal with the devil to save his dad. He says, okay, I'm going to keep your dad around, but you're going to have to do something for me. You become the host for the spirit of vengeance. You ride around this motorcycle. The shit's on fire. You kill shit. Then all of a sudden you punish the guilty and that's it. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Who are your villains? Mephisto, Blackout, vengeance if you want to throw another cool ghost rider villain on the screen but other than that that's it that's all you got to work with vengeance and the rest of them that's it and that's what that's what trips me out that people get bent out of shape oh i see that blog talk radio decided to shit the bed again hold on one second while i dial in i see that uh let me see if mixler is working uh mixler is connecting connecting Yes, no. It's it's clearly it's clearly one of those nights. I see that uh nothing wants to work. Hold on a second guys and bear with me one moment while I get us running back up and running. Bear with me one second. Nope. Oh. I see that we are reconnecting on the Mixler side. Sorry about that. It seems that my uh, internet connection is being a little funky. So I see that we are back on Mixler. Thanks for that, Strider. I, it's it's just been a crazy night. So 
Hold on one, one second while I dial back into Blog Talk Radio for those of you that are listening on that. Bear with me one moment. Ah, there you go. This is definitely one of those nights, guys. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host pin. When finished, press the pound key. Our menu has recently changed. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Yeah, it's 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 been one of those nights, guys. I think um I think next next week we're gonna we're gonna definitely be using a lot of different equipment because this shit is not gonna work. Anyway, as I was saying, it's funny because Strider says talking about Mephisto and all of a sudden the show drops out. It, it's it listen. The the thing is that Marvel when you look at Marvel continuity and you look at some of the Marvel characters, you realize that if you strip away Spider-Man or you strip away Batman on the DC side, you're really left with a lot of just subpar characters. They're really not that great. And that's what happens. People don't people don't respect that. They figure, "Oh, you know, this is supposed to be like this on the big screen." And that's not the case. And I really I really want people to accept that for what it is. When Daredevil comes onto the onto Netflix, and you see the hand or you see the kingpin and all of a sudden it's not the way you envisioned it you got to understand it's not going to translate onto film the same way just saying anyway let me go through the rest of the entertainment news because we can we can do a whole show of just about marvel stuff and it would probably consume two hours easy anyway for those of you that are fans of american horror story the next season is going to be american horror story freak show entertainment weekly st- reports that Kathy Bates, Sarah Paulson, Evan Peters, Angela Bassett, and Francis Conroy will return alongside Jessica Lange. And um, it's going to be set in 1950. And Jessica Lange is going to be a German expat who is managing the last freak show in the U.S. So, of course, American Horror Story Freak Show, be on the lookout for that. I'm sure we'll be seeing it later on this fall. Prometheus is in news this week as it's been announced that Prometheus 2 will be released March 4th, 2016. It's being written by Michael Green, who wrote Green Lantern. Make of that what you will. Now, I kind of want to wanted to go into this a little bit. Uh, Prometheus made $403 million worldwide. Uh, Ridley Scott, of course, is, is going to be involved. Now, a lot of people really had a lot of critical opinions about Prometheus. They felt that it wasn't as great as it should have been. Some people thought that it was just complete shit. From a from a visual effects standpoint, I really liked a lot of things about it. I really felt Michael Fassbender was a an underrated uh, high point of that movie. I felt that it was a little too long and that there was way too much there was way too much foundation being laid out for a universe that for all intents and purposes is already established. And what I'm saying is you already have the alien universe pretty much created to go all the way back to the beginning. 
I really hope that if you're going to go that far back, you're going to take the time to expand on certain other aspects of the origin. Like when you saw how Prometheus ended, you said, all right, so that's where the aliens came from. But is it like you want to know how did the aliens evolve from that shitty little piece of shit that came out of that out of that thing at the end? But how did they evolve even more so? What were their origins in full? And I think these are the aspects of the story that when we went into the movie, we were like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And it turns out that's not the way it went. A lot of people that I that I talked to, you know, I talked to them about the movie. They said I went in there expecting the origins of the aliens and all of this stuff. And it was, you know, 20 minutes of of what's her name, the chick that looks like a salamander. Uh, running around and and crying and you know Idris Elba being a badass like that was pretty much it. It's Idris Elba being a badass, salamander face, uh, the blonde chick in tight clothes, and Michael Fassbender being an android douchebag. You know, like that's that's real. That's really the high points that come out of that. And Strider says I'd be a lot happier if they'd make a real Aliens versus Predator based on the comic. You know what's funny? There was a there was a novel I read, an Aliens versus Predator novel that was really good that that kind of utilized a lot of the same stuff the comic did but it was cool because at the if you remember in the first aliens versus predator movie they had Sanaa Lathan uh you know brand herself as a predator now if you read the book the aliens versus predator book uh the woman that helped the predator she actually became a predator and hunted with them she became the first you know human predator but it was very interesting that they went that route and it was a really really good book i think i picked it up and this is years ago at like a garage sale, you know, and I and I really felt that 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 was one of the better representations of it. I, and I think that was the character, Vala. I think it was that character, Nachiko. I think it was her. The only other alien story that I liked was what Dark Horse did. And um, a lot of you guys may remember this. Yes, she was she was Asian. If, if you guys remember this, Dark Horse put out a comic and it was the red aliens versus the black aliens. Do you guys remember that from Dark Horse? Dark Horse had put out this comic and it was red. It was two factions of aliens, red ones and black ones. And the people were in the middle. And it was just a it was just such a crazy story. T- and there was such crazy storytelling. And I really felt, wow, that would really look awesome on the big screen. Like, that's the kind of stuff you want to see, like, hey, you know, these aliens were created like this, and then these aliens evolved into these red aliens because of this, or because of the human genetic manipulation, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was you know, stuff like that. Those are the kind of things people want to see. I felt that Prometheus had spent way too much time take, making itself way too serious. Yeah, blood versus <laughs> bloods versus crips. Thank you, Strider. But it's true. That's That's kind of how it looked. Like, they spent... The, the first hour of that movie was a lot of a lot of ground, you know, a lot of laying of groundwork. And I just felt that it, it, it went a lot longer than I would have liked. You know, like it's like, yeah, here are the engineers. Great. We got their story. But then it just it just it just branched into this other direction where, you know, you had to you had to read a wiki about it. Like after I watched Prometheus, I had to go and read like Wikipedia and read like three different articles to fully understand certain aspects of the movie. And, you know, you're going to go and say, oh, we're going to make a second Prometheus and then we're going to have it written by the guy that wrote Green Lantern. You know, it's... (laughs) 
it's uh you know Val Val breaks it down very easily. He goes, Prometheus explored the engineers, aka the space jockeys, who in turn created the aliens as a way to wipe worlds out. Ridley Scott actually got that part from a trilogy of novels. Now, again, the engineers had the aliens. Okay, that's great. But think about it. You had the aliens, which all of a sudden you had some chick give birth to a starfish who in turn, the starfish pretty much used, you know, a legend of the overfiend tentacle dick to, to, to rape the space jockey. And then all of a sudden you had this alien pop out that kind of looked, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy the way that it just, it, it, it went from one side all the way into the other. It's like, oh, look, this chick is going to give birth to a fucking starfish that has, you know, a tentacle dick like Urotsuku Doji, like Legend of the Overfiend, and all of a sudden, you know, that's what's gonna, you know, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna throw itself into this giant eight-foot-tall dude, and out of that is gonna come this little alien-looking thing with two jaws, because when that thing popped out, you're like, oh, that's kind of cute, you know, and it was, it was weird the way it went. It was so weird, because like I said, it started really dramatic, really, really deep science fiction and then it just took it just took a whole other turn into into crazy town and it i like prometheus i felt that visually it was very appealing in terms of just visual presentation but then you sit there and you watch it and you just go what the fuck did i just watch and that happened to me after after the movie was over i'm like i'm like really like that's what happened ah oh, fuck that and you know i was a little bent out of shape about it i really was but it is what it is, but ladies and gents, we are going to get a second one, March 4th, 2016. Now, it wouldn't be an episode of My Take Radio without some what-the-fuck movie news. Yes, Rooney Mara looks like a salamander. Thank you, Strider. Um, this week's what-the-fuck movie news, Pee-wee Herman on the big screen once again. Now, before you ask yourself, why is Pee-wee Herman coming back to the big screen, it is because, it is because Judd Apatow is going to try and bring Pee-wee back to the big screen. I kid you not. We know Judd Apatow has a, a long-standing track record of making these bullshit-ass comedies, you know, going on 40, uh, whatever, the, the, the one with uh, Knocked Up, you know, all those, those, those guy flicks that are disguised as chick flicks. You know which ones I'm talking about. That's what Judd Apatow does. But... Instead, he's going to bring Pee Wee Herman to the big screen again. I don't know if it's going to be Paul Rubens. Who knows? Maybe he'll make Pee Wee Herman Paul Rudd and the love interest will be Leslie Mann. Because, you know, that's what Judd Apatow pretty much does every chance he gets. I'm going to take my wife, who I think is moderately funny, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to just stick her in every fucking movie that I can because I'm the director and that's what I can do. And she's funny. Ha ha ha. No, she's really not. You know? It's like, it's like, stop it. It's stop. Stop lying to yourself. Leslie Mann is, she has a modicum of funny. A little bit. She has like 3% funny. And the only reason she has 3% funny is when she's verbally berating Paul Rudd or verbally berating Seth Rogen, which I have a feeling is what she does to Judd Apatow anyway. I'm sure that guy gets verbally berated by Leslie Mann on the regular. But seriously, Pee Wee? Why? You know, it, and, and it just it just boggles my mind because, listen, we watched Pee Wee growing up. It was fucked up. It was weird and it was crazy, but it was appropriately fucked up, weird and crazy back then. 
We don't need Pee Wee now. It's not going to translate the same way as it did when we were kids. It is not going to work. But besides that, besides that bit of news, we get the other the other tasty nugget, and that is the Scarface remake, which I talked about this a couple of months back. Looks like we're finally starting to get some some developments on that. Uh, Pablo Lorraine, who directed uh, the Chilean the Chilean Oscar nominated No, is in talk to direct Universal's remake of Scarface. Of course, the original one was 1932, starring starring Paul Muni, and then of course Al Pacino did the one in 1983. But we are going to go with a Scarface remake. Why I don't know. Now here's the here's the kicker. The next Scarface is going to be set in modern-day Los Angeles and will focus on a Mexican immigrant. And it's going to be the story of his rise and fall in the criminal underworld. According to what they were saying, according to what the rap published, they said that that they are looking to cast an authentic Latino who is bilingual and bicultural as the lead character, whose name will be Tony, though his last name won't be Montana or won't be uh, Camante like it was in the original. So yeah, you're going to remake Scarface, you want to use a Mexican immigrant, and you're going to retell the story that we already know. Here's an idea. How about not making Scarface? Because if you saw the sequel to Carlito's Way, you know that the shit doesn't work. Seriously. Like, if you guys remember, did the Rise to Power remake, uh, the sequel to Carlito's Way with... Um, What's his name? I think it was it was Jimmy Hernandez, something Hernandez, and Puff Daddy was in it. It was it was bullshit. It was bullshit. I watched. That, I was like, really? You really tried to do that? What a steaming pile of shit that was. And, and that was the uh, the 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 prequel to um to Carlito's Way. Let's not even talk about a Scarface remake. And it's funny because Val says, "Am I the only one who thinks Scarface sucks?" <laughs> you know what's funny about that? If you are if you're a fan of hip hop or you grew up in New York City, there were there there were certain there were certain things that needed that you needed to have in your life to be a hip hop fan. Number one, Kung Fu Flicks for all the Wu Tang clan references. You also had to make sure to have a copy of Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, Dr. Dre's Chronic, and the Nas album. On top of that, you had to have something related to Scarface, whether it was a Scarface poster in your bedroom or a Scarface jacket or Scarface toys or something. There was always something Scarface because you weren't fully hip-hop or fully hood if you didn't have all those things. It was pretty much your ghetto checklist. It's like Scarface poster, check. Wu-Tang Clan, Dr. Dre and the Chronic, and Nas CDs, checked. A pair of Carl Kanai or Cross Colors jeans, Checked. Timberland sweater with an eagle on it? Checked. Um, you know, boss jeans in different colors? Check. Like, you weren't that type of a dude until un- until you did that. That was like your hood checklist. And if you if you grew up in New York City, you know what I'm talking about. I know Val can, can vouch for that. It's funny because Ish says, I guess I'm, I'm white. <laughs> Strider says, I've got an emergency kit in the closet. I just forgot how hip-hop I am. But No, but you know what it is? Ish, you grew up in the Bronx, and there's certain staples. 
And and whether whether you call yourself hood or not, I mean, I grew up in the Bronx in the '80s during the crack era. There's a lot of shit that evolved as we grew up. It we you know it went from I remember I had I had a pair of cross colors jeans. I my mom paid a hundred bucks for them, and um, you know it was it was one of those things you just you just had to have back then. I remember uh, when Onyx came out. I remember I had an Onyx t-shirt with the mad face. And these were all things that were, they were just staples of just growing up in New York City and, and being into hip-hop. That was just it, just, it just happened. The Scarface thing, it just became, it just became synonymous with hip-hop. Same thing with Kung Fu flicks, uh, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. You know, when you, when, you, when you were into that sort of stuff, you were like, everybody looked at you like, yeah, you know, you're hip or whatever. And, of course, things have evolved. But like Scarface was always just intertwined with hip hop, and um, you know Val says uh, Scarface was the story of a coked up coward. Here's here's how I see Scarface. I I love Scarface. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Al Pacino's Scarface, and there's a lot of things I like about that movie. You know, and a lot of it is just um, Al Pacino's work as Scarface, like what he brought to the role. You know, he was just a smarmy douchebag. And there's just certain aspects of it that were cool. You know, it was a great crime film. Now, I'm not saying that that's, you know, that's the end all be all. And that's not what you what you need to to measure yourself by. But I just felt that Scarface was the quintessential gangster movie when you were when you were growing up in the 80s. Like, you know, obviously you can talk about The Godfather, but each of us, depending on what nationality you were, we all have that one crime movie. We all had that one crime flick that really just made us, you know, we always watch, always, whether it's Angels with Dirty Faces, whether it's The Godfather, whether it's Carlito's Way, or King of New York, or Goodfellas, or Casino, or, we all have one, we all have one film, one hardcore crime flick that we always enjoy, maybe, maybe it's A Better Tomorrow, maybe it's, uh, you know, some of those Korean gangster flicks, like me personally, I have a, you know, I have a, a, a different assortment of crime films that I'm, crime films that I'm a fan of, you know, Bronx Tale is definitely up there. Casino is up there. Goodfellas is, is, is definitely up there. These are all movies that are a staple. I always watch them. I never get tired of seeing them because those are, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, ghost dog way of the samurai. <laughs> Or some shit, you know. I, I I know I know a couple of guys that that were really big into Ghost Dog, and I'm like, really, really, Forrest Whitaker as a as a ghetto hood samurai. What is what is so great about that? And I kid you not, these were like, it, it, we all know these guys, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little inside, and I I'm sure we all had that one super intelligent black friend. And when I mean super intelligent, it's he was ghetto, but he was the guy that would play chess by himself with a little clock and shit. And he'd sit in the lunchroom and he'd be playing chess by himself. And then when he went, when he invited you over to play chess, you felt like you were, you were in, in the in crowd. We all had that guy that those are the kind of guys that would come out and say that ghost dog was way of the samurai. You know, that, like that, you know, man, Ghost Dog had some really deep storytelling, yo. You just got to really watch it and absorb it. You got to give it time, man. You got to watch it, you know, on the first view and you can't really appreciate that. You got to sit down and, and think about it and really absorb it. And, and we all had that the same way I had hardcore Puerto Rican dudes 
who it was all about Scarface. It was all about Carlito's way. It was all about Benny Blanco from the Bronx. And they'd come in and, and they'd come in with the, you know, they'd be those dudes that come in with the white shirts and the really loud jackets in high school. It, it was, it was, it was all of that. And then when it went towards the late nineties into the two thousands, when Jay-Z started putting out those really shitty crime movies, like state property part one and all that really ghetto shit, uh, or or as Ben likes to call it, the real ignorant shit that we all watch. You know, you we all watch like State Property or, you know, any of those uh, Jamaican crime movies. We all watched all that shit, especially if you lived in New York and you were in a, you know, you went to a, a multi-ethnic school. You always had like somebody bring in like, yo, man, I got this new, I got the new Jay-Z shit. And you'd watch, you'd just be like, what did I just watch? Or it'd be like some some action, not even an action movie, but like some real low-grade movie shot with like a Super 8 VHS with Cameron. Like, it, it was shit like that that we'd watch growing up. And that's what I'm saying. Like, we all have these quintessential crime movies. And now that we're in, in the 2000s, you know, in the we don't really have that anymore. I think it's lacking. So we just go back to the well. And sure, you could say, oh, well, what about, you know, what about this movie? What about that movie? We don't have those same type of movies we don't have a a a heat for this generation we don't have a heat for this generation we don't have a uh you know a death wish with charles bronson we don't have a dirty harry that doesn't exist now that that stuff has been lost we don't have it you know like that stuff just doesn't exist so instead we go back to the well and we reimagine things to 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 kind of keep that alive like obviously you want to make scarface mexican because you know the plight of the mexican immigrant is something that still goes on and you know it's valid source material but no one's going to care about it because you can't have that same level of violence do you think you're going to be able to get away with sawing a man's arm off in a bathtub you're going to be able to do that yeah you might be able to do it because it's visually uh you know something visceral that you can show but it's not the same it's, it doesn't have that same that same gravity. Like watching a guy get his arm sawed off in a bathtub in Scarface, you're like, oh, shit. Like nowadays, that's just, you know, that's something you see on Channel 7 or during an episode of Hannibal. Serious. Now, Strider says it's because of the Newtown shootings. And, um, you know, that's that's something that that I can I can get into a little bit. But if I do, it's going to it's going to. It's going to get real crazy, and, and I've talked about this before, and that's just the pussification of America. Just, you know, the future generations becoming complete uh, panty-wasted, pillow-bottomed assholes. And, and I've talked about it at length because the, the, our jobs as, as, the, as the leaders of, of the present is to educate the so-called leaders of the future. And if you're letting your kids be raised by your television or by video games, then you're a failure as a parent and you're a failure as a human being. That's it. You know, all of a sudden they, they, they'll contribute to, you know, just an excuse. Exactly. Just an excuse for shitty parenting. Listen, we, we, we of the eighties and, and nineties generation, we are the vehicles of change. It's not the new generation. It's us. You want to know why? Because the wisdom values and knowledge that we impart on our generations going forward are the values that they will impart going down the road if you don't if you don't have the balls to sit down and tell your kids hey this movie's incredibly violent but it's make-believe don't go out and do this dumb shit then then you're a failure as a parent that's it you are a fucking failure 
You know how 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 they everybody jokes about in three hundred where the kids that 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 didn't that didn't have the gene would get kicked into the pit. I'd like to kick a lot of parents into the pit for that reason because you really there's there's a level of understanding, there's a level of complexity that you really should be able to impart onto another life form. I come on air, I do three hours of audio, and I impart some sort of wisdom to you guys. Whether it's whether you guys learn from it or don't learn from it, I'm imparting something. Maybe it's a value, maybe it's not. But again, there's there's something. You know, it's like what Strider says, don't do this shit or I'll fuck you up. Let me tell you, when I was when I was in the Cub Scouts, I was in the Cub Scouts when I was a kid, we went to Spofford. Spofford is a juvenile detention prison in the Bronx for kids. My godfather was a um he was a correction officer there. We walked in he says, I want to I want to show you guys something. He had us walk into a room that was probably smaller than where I'm broadcasting from. And he shut the door and turned off the light. And we all literally shit ourselves. When he opened the door, he goes, do you know why I did that? And I'm like, no. And he's like, this is what it looks like to be in jail here. And that's the kind of shit we don't do anymore. We don't do that because, you know, little Timmy's going to be traumatized because, you know, he's going to get PTSD. Are you serious? Like, that's like that's the kind of shit, you know, that's the kind of shit that you go through. And those are the things, those are the lessons they impart. I mean, I've told you guys a story. My mom paid a crackhead like five bucks to show up at my door and show me like seven different types of drugs. And he said, don't do this shit because it's bad for you. That's what he did. He was like, yo, don't do this. It's bad for you. The guy shows up, opens up his hand. He had like a crack vial, some weed, a needle, a little bit of a, you know, a, a, I think it, I think it was like some rock, some like real hardcore crack rock. He had a tuba crack. He had some Coke. Just it, it was really a, a pretty much a buffet of drugs. And he was like, you see this stuff? Your mom told me to show you this stuff because if somebody ever, ever offers it to you, it's bad. Don't ever do it. It'll kill you, and you might end up like me. And your mom has probably told you never to talk to me, right? And and my mother's like, go ahead, tell him. And he's like, yeah. And he was like, exactly. Don't be like me. And that's what I'm saying. We don't we don't have that. We don't have that anymore. And it's easy to say, oh, well, you could send your kids to the military, and they'll learn that. That's not the point. It's not about you know pawning off your kid to a drill sergeant and hoping that that drill sergeant imparts the values that you failed to impart yourself as a parent because again you're a failure you're passing your shit on to someone else your fuck-ups this is what i've always said you go you meet a girl you fuck for nine months and then you get a trophy you get a prize your fuck trophy is your child your job as a parent for the next year is to keep that trophy alive to not let it die to feed it and bathe it and clothe it so that way when it grows up it can repay you for feeding it clothing it and all of that shit and that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about that kind of stuff because people people don't respect that people don't respect the origins of where this stuff comes from and this is what I'm saying, like, you can't do a Scarface remake and expect it to have the same kind of magic, because that magic doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And anybody that, that blames medium, uh, any medium, films or whatever, for the violence that's going on in this world, you're stupid. 
I've said this before in previous broadcasts. I sincerely doubt that Adolf Hitler woke up one day and decided to play Halo online and the gunfire made him decide to exterminate the Jews. I doubt it. I doubt that, you know, Osama bin Laden woke up on a Tuesday and started watching an episode of Power Rangers and said, you know what, it's a really good idea to fly some planes into some buildings today. Like that, like, like that's the kind of shit. It's like, please, please wake up and accept the fact that the shortcomings that are, that are running rampant in our society are shit that we've created ourselves. We are reaping what we sow. We've become desensitized to everything and anything that doesn't affect our little bubble. You know, like, like that's how it goes. It, it, it's like. It's like, and it's true. Like, I want to just preface this by by sharing some of the stuff that guys are writing in the chat. Strider puts, if a dude was raised by his mother to play nice, tell a grown up he wouldn't get respect. Tell a grown up he wouldn't be respected by women in the future for depending by uh, on on bylaws. It's true. Val says the violence in this world is nothing like the violence in the eighties. Strider puts, but the same woman would teach the same values to her son, but not expect the same values from her next fuck buddy. There you go. Val says, I'm sorry, going to sleep knowing you could get your head blown off from a stray bullet doesn't exist right now. There's a, there's a couple of different things. Now, Ish says that religion did that. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're going into some crazy territory, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say my piece on this and move on. But let's, let's, let's talk about this. Val says, going to sleep knowing you could get your head blown off by a stray bullet. I remember I lived in the Bronx till I was 14 years old. I got to experience my first drive-by uh, coming home on an Easter Sunday from City Island with my mother and my grandmother. A guy drove by the front of our building, unleashed a barrage of bullets while my grandmother was looking for parking. She floored it to make sure we didn't get killed, and that was my first experience with, with a drive-by as a kid. I lived in the Bronx, like I said, until I was about 12, 13 years old, moved out to Queens. First place I moved was Queensbridge Projects. Uh, no sooner did we move into the neighborhood that there was the first shootout at the, at the basketball courts on 40th Avenue and 10th Street in Queensbridge. Got to see that. So my mom decided, hey, let's move to Puerto Rico. Moved to Puerto Rico for a while. Puerto Rico, for all its luster and all its beauty and all its stuff, shit, there's some hardcore fucking killers out there too. Then we moved out here to where I live now and even out here. You know, people, uh, I have, you know, a nice yard and I have wonderful neighbors and I have houses and stuff and it's great, but Val can vouch for the fact that I had some hardcore pieces of shit living here too. And the worst part is that these are guys that are claiming to be hood, but it's like you walk out of a house, uh, you walk out of your house. You're not from the projects. You didn't, you, you weren't living, you weren't living in, in squalor. You didn't have to worry about getting robbed. I got robbed for a bag of potato chips by a fat kid that lived next door for me. You believe that? He was like he was he was 10 years he was 10 years old. I think I was no, he was he was 10 years older than I was and he had a notorious uh ability for for robbing people. I remember I got robbed by a fat kid for a bag of chips. And then it was funny cuz I ended up becoming friends with his brother and I told him like, "Hey, you know, he robbed me once in the video store for a bag of chips." So that fat kid, I remember years later, right before we moved out of the neighborhood, you know what he was? Addicted to crack. And 
when I saw him, he was like, hey, man, you think you could spare a dollar? And I'm looking at this dude. Like I said, he was 10 years older than me, robbed me for a bag of chips. And I said, maybe if you wouldn't rob me for them chips when I was younger, maybe I would have given you a dollar. And he was just dumbfounded. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like this is how life goes, like the circle. You know, the, the, cir- you know, the circle of life, as, as, as shitty as it sounds, it's legitimate. And, and you know, I want to say, I want to go by what, what Ish just said about religion. Here's, here's the thing, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one to talk about religion in a, in a, on, a, in a, on a large scale. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my thoughts on religion to close things out and finish up this week's entertainment segment. I, I, believe in, in, I believed in a, in a higher power. I believed in that. I believed in um, going to church every Sunday. You know, I grew up in a Catholic household. I did my first communion. I was an altar boy. And um, my first experience with the bullshit of the church was I was, a, I was a young kid, go to confession every Sunday. My brother would go to confession. When my brother started working, he needed a recommendation. So there's no, there's no bigger recommendation than the recommendation of your local priest. So my mom was like, hey, you know, uh, my son's going to get this job. I'd love a recommendation from you. So the priest was like, you know, I'd love to, but I really can't just because, you know, the boys, when I talk to them at confession, you know, they talk about all this stuff. And I just don't think it's a good, you know, that would be a good fit for your son, this particular job. And my mother was like, what does confession have to do with you giving a recommendation of about him as a person? Yeah, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right then and there, I realized the load of shit that church was so then you know i i didn't i still didn't believe you know I, not that i didn't believe but i believed in a higher power i went about my business and um my mother got sick and when my mother died i was very angry i was very angry at god and you know i walked around like yo man you know if you were legit you wouldn't you know you wouldn't have taken my mother from me i was i was really pissed off but then one day I came to an amazing realization. And it's funny because Ish says, I couldn't after my father died from cancer to say there is a God when my father died of cancer. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. <clears throat> I'm going to give you guys my opinion on the higher power and on religion. This isn't for you guys to debate or agree or disagree. This is, again, my opinion. I believe that whatever higher power exists in this world views us as fish in a fish tank. When I say that, you feed your fish in the tank. When your fish are sick, you take them out. You put new fish in. That's it. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't play with your fish. You don't walk your fish. You don't tuck your fish in at night. All you do is you sprinkle some food. You change their water. When they die, you replace them. And that is it. We are God's fishbowl. That is what we are. And as such... All we all all that's happening is we are being watched. Now, people say, oh, well, you know, all these tragedies in the world, all this stuff. You know what that is? That is changing the water in the fish tank. How many times were you when you had a kid and you had fish, you changed the water and some of your fish would die. But then your mom would go to the store, buy a dollar's worth of shit fish, throw them in there and you'd have new fish and everything would be right in the world. That is it. That is my view on religion. I don't want you to agree. I don't want you to disagree, but that's how I see it. Whatever higher power exists is a casual observer. Doesn't interact with us. Doesn't become involved in what we do. Doesn't give a shit about whether we eat fish on Fridays or we don't. 
That higher power only cares about us if we do the right thing or the wrong thing. And even that is up for debate. And I'll tell you why. My brother, you know, my brother and I, my brother was going to be a priest. Uh, up until my mother told him to get a real fucking job. She was like, yo, fuck you. Go get a real job. So my brother didn't become a priest. He be, and he got a real job. Me, same thing. But I'll, I'll tell you guys this. I, I feel that, you know, when you die, you die. You're never, you're never going to go anywhere because you're dead. What I'm saying is if there's a heaven or hell, nobody can prove it or disprove it because the only people that know are fucking dead. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't say to you, I can't say to Val, Val, I don't believe there's a heaven because guess what? Unless there's a zombie or a person that died and can tell you about it, you don't fucking know. You have to have some, you have to suspend some belief that when you die, that's it. Maybe you just evaporate into a cloud of fucking dust. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe it's a giant amusement park up there. Maybe it's not. But again, nobody can vouch for that. We can only vouch for the now. And, and the only reason I can say that is because, like I said, I'm supposed to be Catholic, and tomorrow, on Friday, you know, I'm not supposed to eat meat. And it's like, listen, God doesn't care about whether I have a steak sandwich in my stomach or a fish fillet from McDonald's. What he cares about is that I didn't kill anybody, or if I did kill them, that I killed them to protect my family or to do something noble. You know what I'm saying? Don't be an asshole. That's it. And if you have to be an asshole, there's certain types of assholes. There's assholes who are assholes for all the wrong reasons. And those and I'm talking about the legitimate assholes, you know, the, the, the Ponzi schemers, you know, the real douchebags, those are assholes. Then they're the assholes who have to be assholes by accident. In other words, you know, that guy that wanted to come into your lane when you were driving to work this morning and you pretended you didn't see him and you accelerated, that's an accidental asshole. And I, I'm, an ex, I'm an accidental asshole every day. It happens. I don't come on here and try to play it off like I'm some pious, high and mighty good guy. Not the case. I come into work some days and I'm getting into the elevator and I can see three people coming and I'll and I will hold that button for my floor for the elevator to close faster because I want to get to work and punch in. Yes, that makes me an asshole. Yes, that makes me a piece of shit. But you know what? That's that that's me being my own kind of an asshole. And that's what I'm saying. We're all we're all assholes in our own way. It's just about not being a big enough asshole to upset the balance. That's it. If you don't wake up and walk to your job and kill somebody on the way to work, you're okay. You know, <clears throat> if you don't go and kidnap a kid or, or, you know, run over, run over a kitten on the way to work, you're all right. You're okay. Shit happens. If you ran over a kitten on the way to work, whoops. Once again, changing out the fish tank, changing out the way things go. That's it. That's, that's, that's my take on it. That is my, that is my take on, on, on religion. Whatever higher power exists, it's the fishbowl. That's it. The person watches, feeds his fish, goes about his business. And again, some people, some people are like, well, like I, like me, I was mad. I'm like, yo, why did, why did my, you know, why did my, why did cancer claim my mother? You know what? Fish get cancer and die all the time. You take them out and you move on. 
The only the only way you keep that person alive is up here mentally. That's it. And Strider says it, although there are plenty of people who deserve to die. Yeah, there are plenty of people. But you know what it is? At the end of the day, the scales are what they are. You have to have a certain ratio of assholes to good people. You know? It happens. you got to have a ratio of good and evil. You need it. Anybody that says otherwise is living in a dream world. You need good and you need bad. You can't have a world that's perfectly good because... Everybody would be way too happy and nothing would get done. You need adversity. You need to overcome obstacles. You need to overcome hurdles. You need to, you need to, you know, steel sharpen steel. And besides, those of us that have lived a hard life can appreciate the small victories we get every day. You know, that's it. And it's, and it's all fortune cookie wisdom. It, you know, it is what it is, but that's my take on it. Anyway, let's 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 uh, decompress our brains and get into some more mindless stuff. Anyway, this weekend, you know that the, this past week, you know that The Rock unveiled his trailer of Hercules, aka I'm gonna smash CGI animals with a stick and I'm gonna show off my HGH muscles. Again, it was great stuff. That's it. You know, The Rock, The Rock's uh, trailer. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, it didn't really show us much. It is a story about Hercules. Hercules' stories are very easy. They are 12 labors, punch things in the face, um, kill your wife by accident, go crazy, and, you know, just pretty much deal with shit. That's the story of Hercules. It's about a guy that deals with his personal shit by beating up stuff and doing free work for everybody else. This particular Hercules story, of course, is based on a comic, so there's, there's facets of it that do match Hercules mythology, and then there's stuff that they took some liberties with. Again, it's Brett Ratner, it's mindless, it's a summer film, you know what the deal is. You go, you plunk down your 12 bucks, The Rock beats shit up with a fucking club, and you go about your business. It's, it's the Scorpion King with better graphics, better steroids, and better hair. You know? Like, that's, that's how I see it. Her- Hercules is Hercules is the Scorpion King with better hair, better roids, and a better director. That's it. But one thing that came out of that was that The Rock said that he's playing a character in the DC universe. And, of course, nobody nobody can figure out which character it is. A lot of people are saying he's going to be Jon Stewart. But he, you know, he did give a little bit of information saying that, you know, it's a character that's a badass motherfucker and has a Superman level of power. Now, obviously, the easiest one is going to be Lobo. But again, it's just a rock with better roids and long hair punching Superman in the face. So, again, that may work. That may not work. I really would like to see him play Black Adam. I think that that the rock would be an amazing Black Adam if you did Shazam. Hell, he would make a good Shazam if you did that. Maybe have him play dual roles. Maybe have Billy Batson turn into Shazam, who looks like The Rock in one costume, and then have The Rock in another costume as Black Adam. That way you can have the duality of good and evil and still use the same guy. I'd like to see that. Plus, Shazam is probably the only guy that can, you know, go toe-to-toe with Superman that, you know, and Black Adam and Lobo as well. I mean, they're they're all effective characters, but... Let's let's get past Hercules before we start talking about whatever DC movie it is, unless he shows up in Superman and Batman as Lobo, which I doubt. But then again, 
you never know. What if what if the Rock were Dark Side? That that would kind of be fucking cool if the Rock was Dark Side. That would that would blow people's minds like, "Oh shit. I I could live with that. If the Rock were Dark Side, it would be pretty fucking cool." I got to I got to de- definitely say that. In some other sequel news, Ain't It Cool News actually showed a poster and a small teaser trailer for Phantasm 5. Can you believe that? Phantasm 5, ladies and gentlemen. I can't even believe, um, you know, I can't even believe that, you know, that Phantasm is still a thing and it's happening. Phantasm 5 is, you know, it's, 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 it's such an unexpected surprise that I actually want to see it. You know, it's going to be called Phantasm 5 Ravager. Um, no casting has been, uh, no casting has been announced, but Angus Scrim has to be like 110 years old by now. I don't even know if Angus Scrim is still alive, which is a separate story all its own. But again, Phantasm 5 Ravager, um, you know, Don Coscarelli did the, uh, directed the original films. I, I have no idea who's going to direct this. I don't even know who's starring in it. All I know is a silver ball flying and impaling somebody in the head is always a wonderful sight to see. That's all I'm saying. So take this for what it's worth. And I know a lot of you guys are probably going to get pissed off with this bit of news. Latino Review put out a, a bit of news saying that Disney and Lucasfilm are looking to recast the role of Indiana Jones, similar to how they do with James Bond every few years. Uh, based on what they're saying, they want to try and do uh, Indiana Jones like they do James Bond. And instead of Harrison Ford playing James Bond, they want to go with Bradley Cooper. I kid you not, Bradley Cooper as as uh, Indiana Jones. It might work, it might not, but I kind of I I can kind of appreciate that they want to go the James Bond route. I just feel that you know Harrison Ford is is Bond, you know, I, not Bond. Harrison Ford is is Indy. Like it's so weird looking at somebody else as Indiana Jones, but Bradley Cooper might be able to pull it off. So I'm not totally I'm not totally dead set against it. But I like where they're going, kind of just, oh, we're going to do indie like we do 007. Every couple of years, we get a different guy. I mean, it keeps the franchise fresh. It keeps people, you know, it keeps people checking it out. And if the script was legit, I, I can definitely look at it. Besides the fact that Frank Darabont might be writing the new script. And Darabont isn't exactly a, you know, he's not a shitty writer. So, you know, it gives us something to look forward to. Anyway. The other bit of unnecessary sequel news, which kind of falls into the what the fuck movie news category, is a sequel to Barbershop. You guys remember Barbershop with Ice Cube, Cedric the Entertainer, and then they did the second sequel, which was Beauty Shop with Queen Latifah. Well, yeah, we're going to get a third Barbershop. Mind you, uh, Barbershop 2, in 2004, Barbershop 2, back in business, then Beauty Shop in 2005. Now Ice Cube is in negotiations for Barbershop 3. Think about how many years we're talking about here. Beauty Shop in 2005 and Barbershop 2 in 2004. It is insanity. It is insanity that tonight I talked about um, Barbershop, a Scarface remake, Another Indiana Jones. It it just feels it just feels like we're talking about eighties and nineties TV the entire show. But um, you know what? 
Val says, Barbershop 4 starring Bow Wow. You know what the worst part is? I would not be shocked. I wouldn't even be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you know, if Bow Wow was running Ice Cube shop or some shit. It's true. I wouldn't be shocked if they decided to take, like, all these little young actors and throw them in there. You know, like Queen Latifah and Ice Cube, they're running their shops and shit, and then you just throw a whole bunch of young people in there to kind of keep the franchise alive. Wouldn't be shocked. Dark Helmet says, Barbershop 3, cut the hair off new suckers. <laughs> oh, shit. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, Barbershop 3 is going to happen. Anyway, with that said, that will wrap up this week's entertainment news. And with with much relief, it is going to wrap up what was not a disastrous show, but definitely a show with a lot of issues. So with that said, let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 221 for Thursday, March 27th, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. With regards to catching past episodes of the show, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. You can catch video reruns on the GFQ Network and also via RSS on mytakeradio.com. If you want to watch video reruns on your own time, you can always subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash my take radio tv last but not least as always you can keep up with us on facebook facebook.com forward slash my take radio twitter at my take radio add us to your circle on google plus follow our boards on pinterest and of course you can follow me my take radio underscore rich on instagram the best my take radio experience though you will get with the my take radio app available for ios android and windows mobile users for iOS, of course, you can get it in iTunes. For Android, you can go to the Amazon Android Marketplace. And, of course, for Windows, you can go to the Windows Mobile Shop. You can get the official MyTake Radio app for your Windows phone, but also for Windows 8. So there you have it. All right, guys, I will catch you guys next week. Let's get the hell out of here, shall we? As for what music is going to take us out this week, I am thinking that we are going to go into the uh, let's let's go back into some some older MTR music that I haven't used in quite some time. Let's see what we got. Uh, what do we got? You know what? I think we're going to go with. Uh, let's see what we got from our friends at OC. Actually, you know what? Let's go with a little bit of our friends from the Maniac Agenda, The Awakening. It is the Maniac Agenda remix from Halo 4. Uh, any information about the Maniac Agenda, you can find on our in our show notes, but you can also find them on Facebook as well. I will catch you guys next week.
Thank you. 